This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. And happy post-primary Northeastern primary. It's the day that uh, we bring in Joe Cannon, our uh, Washington insider. He's going to walk us through the uh, primaries last night. A clean sweep for the Trumpster and uh, Hillary Clinton. Four out of five. Not bad. Not a bad showing. Good old uh, Bernie Sanders still pulled out uh, Rhode Island. But uh, what does it all mean? Uh, if you believe the if you believe the politicians, they you know Donald and uh, Hillary, they they say. It's done. They're done. They've won it. It's over. Everybody just needs to, you know, turn out the lights, put the cat out. It's done. But is that the case? We'll talk to Joe Cannon and find out uh, about that in just a few minutes. But first, we've got to get to the headlines with Katie Jarvis. Katie, what's going on around the world? Thanks, Matt. Well, you mentioned it. Donald Trump swept all five primaries yesterday. He had large margins in Pennsylvania, Connecticut, Rhode Island, Delaware, and Maryland. And... Hillary Clinton picked up primary wins in Pennsylvania, Connecticut, Delaware, and Maryland. Bernie Sanders won Rhode Island. Clinton now has 88% of the 2,338 delegates that she needs to get the nomination. But Bernie Sanders says he's still in the race until the last vote is cast. And he says that he is looking forward to winning as many delegates as possible before the Democratic National Convention. And Donald Trump's campaign is being sued for sending unwanted text messages. A man from Illinois has filed a lawsuit against Donald Trump, the Donald Trump campaign, on behalf of anyone who has received an unsolicited text message. According to the complaint, Trump's campaign violated the Telephone Consumer Protection Act, which forbids sending texts using an automatic telephone dialing system without the recipient's consent. On March 4th, however, Trump for president allegedly sent thousands of texts that read, reply yes to subscribe to Donald Trump for president. Your subscription will help make America great again. And dangerous storms pummeled the Midwest yesterday. The area has been hit with baseball-sized hail, heavy rain, and tornadoes with severe storms stretching from North Texas to Nebraska. According to the National Weather Service, five tornadoes were reported in Texas, Indiana, Kansas, and Missouri. No deaths or injuries have been reported from the storms yet, but thousands of people are without power. More of the bad weather is expected today. And for the first time this year, Apple has reported a decline in revenue. Actually, it's the first time since 2003. Apple announced its first downward trends in iPhone sales and overall decline. According to the sales data, the company earned $50.6 billion in revenue and $10.5 billion in profits for the second quarter of 2016. And that is down from last year. The decline comes as the company's signature smartphones, iPhone, experienced weakened sales in an increasingly competitive market. And that's an update. Oh, come on, people. Help Apple out. Buy the smartphones. Buy more smartphones. Apple, we need to do like a telethon for Apple. <laughs> I think they're okay. Yes, you too. Oh, Ben, let's start with you, Ben. Let's get rid of that flip phone and save Apple. Okay, if, if BYU Radio buys me a phone, I will accept. What if we just started to pay you? <laughs> Could we do That's that? Tempting. Would that change anything? It changed something. Man, can you let him borrow your phone, Katie, when you go out of the country? 
and then then we'll see if he likes it. He'll text for you. He'll do Tinder for you. That's terrifying. I know it is. Don't let him know. I'll your even phone. go on dates for you. No. <laughs> oh, Katie. Okay, bad idea. Bad idea all around. Katie, thanks. Thanks for the news. Great job. Um, interesting. Yeah, we've got to save Apple. iPhone sales are dropping. Come on. What are we going to do? Well, we got to talk politics, right? Last night, what do you think? Is it over? In your heart now, are you ready to let... You know, Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump, are you ready to let them be your candidate? Have we have we got the presidential card now? Donald against Hillary. Look at that. Just two first names. Trump, Clinton. Mm. It's a battle royale. It's going to be incredible. Or is it? Well, if you ask Bernie Sanders, you know, he's he's still in this. He is he's still fighting to win this. If the Democratic Party is to look at which candidate is the candidate to defeat Donald Trump or any other Republican, what we are seeing on national polls, which have us 15, 20 points ahead of Donald Trump, far more than Secretary Clinton. You see, he he still can take on. He can still do it. He's still the guy to beat Trump. In the big race. The reason that we are doing so much better against Republican candidates is that not only are we winning the overwhelming majority of Democratic votes, but we are winning independent votes and some Republican votes as well. And that is a point that I hope the delegates to the Democratic Convention fully understand. In a general election, everyone, Democrat, Independent, Republican, has the right to vote for president. The elections are not closed primaries. We were in New York State last week. Three million people in New York State could not vote because they were independents. Well, you know what? Those folks in independence all over this country will be voting in November for the next president of the United States. Whoa, he has got a great point there. A lot of people couldn't vote in, in some of these primaries because they're independents. They're closed primaries. So Bernard is saying, hey, you got to watch out because you may be electing uh, somebody that can't pull the independents. Hmm. It's a great argument. I just can't get over the fact that that is a guy who's made like revolutionary movements in the political system. Yeah, this this cycle. Not amazing. He's your grandpa yelling at you at like yeah. at the dinner. Get table. off my lawn! Yeah, he sounds like that the whole time he went through that whole speech that he just did last night. He sounds like the guy telling you to get off. His, and and people are young yeah. people are just flocking to him. Well, I was talking with my son. He made a great point. He said, "If it comes down to trusting any of these people, I only trust Bernie." Right. He's like the only one that I actually believe he f- tells the truth and fully believes what he's saying. The rest are, seem like they're just saying what needs to be said this week. Mm. What, especially his competition. Yeah. Who he's pulled way more left than she's wanted to go in this election. Well, and you know what's really good for Bernie is one of his top advocates is somebody you'd never even think would be pulling for him. The Democrats have treated Bernie very badly. 
And frankly, I think he should run as an independent, okay? And I actually do. I actually do. I think they've treated him very badly. And, you know, the system is a bad system. And whether it's their system or our system, you look at what goes on. But, you know, the best way to beat the system is have evenings like this, where you get record-setting votes, where you get record-setting delegates. He did come in like a wrecking ball. He crushed it. I saw one report. Trump got 36 times more delegates than Cruz did. 110 to 3. Holy cow. Except in the final count, Cruz will be up plus 20. Because he'll go in and just somehow work the... Work the dark side. He'll get people like trips to Disneyland or something. You know what else is, I think, fantastic? Let's let's be real, though. Cruz is not out of this. Cruz is in Indiana fighting for the Hoosiers' vote, people that love basketball, and Cruz is doing everything he can to corner that basketball market. Tell me something. How tall is that basketball rim? There's a guy on the other side of the gym measuring. Ten feet. You know, the amazing thing is that basketball ring here in Indiana, it's the same height as it is in New York City and every other place in this country. It's, he, not, it's not a ring. Yeah, did he call it a ring? The he, basketball ring? He asked him, how tall is that rim? I know, he nailed it. And then five seconds later, calls it a ring. And people are like, what? How? You know, the orange ring-a-ding-ding. He's trying to... Do this thing yeah. with the the movie Hoosiers. They measure the rims. The coach measures the rims yeah. and goes, "See, it's the same height for everybody. It's the same game. They're not going to have an advantage over you." All he's trying to psych his team up. He tries to draw an, you know a comparison right. between that and everything else, what, and he just what, messed up. What they need to do is just set Trump, Kasich, Cruz on the free throw line, hand them a basketball, mm. and in Hoosier land, we'll see who can hit it. Hit the ring. Who, who does the uh, the underhand sort of granny yeah. shot? You remember, though, uh, Sanders did have video shot of him and his family shooting some hoops after a deal. He did. He made it. Yeah. It was awesome. I mean, it was old school, but who wouldn't shoot? More of a, a Hoosier type yeah, shot. Exactly like a Hoosier type shot. And the I thought it was weird set. that he was wearing those tight little shorts. Yeah. yeah. Little Hoosier, Hoosier shorts. Yeah. Um, now, Trump, uh, there, was a, there was my favorite moment last night of all moments. Um, Trump talking about women and Hillary. Which always goes well for him. Yeah. It always ends up on the positive side of things. But it really wasn't what he said uh, because standing behind him was Chris Christie's wife. I don't know her name. M- Mrs. Christie. Mrs. Christie. Uh, she has her own name too. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> but she – so there's a quote by a guy named Paul Watzlewick that says, One cannot not communicate. Okay, so if you don't like something, your body is going to communicate it. Like, think about it. Like, if a foul smell comes in the room, your face is gonna you're gonna make a face. Mary, 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 Mary Christie, Pat. Mary Pat, Mary Pat Christie, uh, Mary Pat Christie standing behind Donald Trump when Donald Trump makes this comment that will play, and her face kind of goes. She makes a grimace. There's some contortion. A contortion, and she kind of looks away. It's kind of like when you see a train wreck and you got to look away for a sec. But she's communicating she's not liking this message. Um, This is the Donald Trump uh, uh, on Hillary Clinton's women card. 
A lot of buzz also about those comments you made about Hillary Clinton last night. If Hillary were a man, I don't think she'd get 5% of the vote. What exactly did you mean by that? It struck a lot of your critics as sexist. It's not sexist, it's true. It's just a very, very true statement. If she were a man, she'd get 5%. She's 600,000 votes? She's, she's gotten 12 million votes. She's a flawed candidate. She's a candidate that, frankly, uh, is... I think it'll be very, very, she's not going to do very well in the election, and I look forward to showing that. And so this is, that, that was Trump defending his comment about the women card that he played last night on ABC Morning um, with Stephanopoulos. But let's, let's listen to Trump's actual comment. Well, I think the only card she has is the woman's card. She's got nothing else going. And frankly, if Hillary Clinton were a man, I don't think she'd get 5% of the vote. The only thing she's got going is the woman's card. And the beautiful thing is women don't like her, okay? Uh. And look how well I did with women tonight, okay? Now, behind him when he said it, I mean, again, he, he says stuff like that all the time. Right. But you can't have a Christie. Have we not learned this? You can't have a Christie on the stage. Because they they can't keep their poker face. Well, that was – when I first was watching, you'd see Chris Christie, his head kind of popping out the back to make sure that he could be seen back there because he yeah. was kind of in the you mass got, yeah. behind Trump. It's kind of like a boxer coming out to the ring and they have uh-huh. their entourage and there's just all yeah. these people. And everyone wants to be in the picture. And then off to the side, you see Chris Christie's wife and she's like, whoa, you know, kind of this look like, oh my gosh, what did he say? What did he just say? Yeah. And he's looking around. She's kind of – uncomfortable standing there listening so, to so that's the news today is you know chris christie is on board mary pat christie standing there yeah. but didn't love the comment now uh but hillary don't don't be deceived hillary has got uh her own take on the woman card play that donald gave mr trump accused me of playing the quote woman card well, if fighting for women's health care and paid family leave and equal pay is playing the woman card, then deal me in. So instead of letting them take us backwards, we want America to be in the future business. Hmm. The future business. What business are we in? And this morning, the future business. This morning, Trump made comments about how he's going to have to get used to Hillary Clinton shouting. Because oh that's what is going to happen for the next four to five months. Is he's she's going to shout at him? What are you saying? After what she said, did well, that and then night. after there's already been so much talked about just about her tone, yeah. and then that kind of the sexist. It's all coming misogynistic back. view of women's tone when they're strong. Um, this is going to be crazy, but apparently we may have our two front runners. One more play clip ten. This is from CNN this morning. Do you think that's a winning formula to say the woman card is all that Hillary Clinton has? Yes, it's part of a woman. It is certainly part. Uh, she uh, she is a woman. She is playing the woman card left and right. Uh, she didn't play it last time with Obama, uh, but she's playing it much harder this time, and she will be called on it. She'll absolutely. How do you call it. someone on being a woman? <laughs> you just tell them they're playing the woman's card and. And but frankly, what does that mean exactly? Frankly, if she didn't, she would do very poorly. How do you know that? I know it because I think if uh, if she if she were a man and she was the way she is, uh, she would get virtually no votes. So there's sound reasoning and solid evidence as to why he's making these comments. Yeah, he knows it. Yeah, he knows it. 
Did um <laughs> did it sound like Donald was still in bed? Yes, it's that was my other <laughs> thought was we know he doesn't drink, right? Yeah. So this isn't like he celebrated last night and they caught him early. They just caught him like rolling out of bed. <laughs> he is really I don't not... think he had even rolled out yet. He's still in his, you know, silk jammies. But no one can tell him not to answer the phone. Yeah. Because they did and they were demoted or, you know, they were punished as we read <laughs> yesterday. So we can't change Donald Trump. Mr. Trump, CNN's on the phone. Do you want to take – I'm on it. He's already on it. Hello. Donald here. Wow. This is going to be a crazy race. But he nailed it. She is a woman. Yeah. And and he knows just by how he knows that And he's going to call her on using the women's card. Wow. This is getting scary. Well, who better to help us through all of this chaos than Joe Cannon? He's our Washington insider. He's here in studio. He's going to walk us through uh, what happened last night. What does it all mean for the future, both both Republican and Democrat? Do we have our matchup? Is this the uh, presidential matchup? Stick with us, folks. We'll find out. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back with Joe Cannon. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Well, a big battle last night, a big uh, battle um, with two, uh, with four or five primaries between a bunch of candidates battling it out. Who's going to be the president? Well, who better to help us understand what did go through, what uh, we did go through last night? Those that are still recovering. Joe Cannon joins us. He is the uh, Washington Insider here on the Matt Townsend Show. Again, a title he doesn't love to carry because he, you know, he just feels like he knows a few people and a few things. But he has been the chairman of the, the Utah Republican Party back in the day, also was a candidate for U.S. Senate, served as an assistant administrator for the U.S. EPA under the Reagan administration, and was the editor of the Deseret News, um, an Intermountain newspaper that uh, is pretty well known here in the West. Um, and uh, now is CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation, trying to uh, lower the cost of fuel and improve the markets so that we can have lower rates here um, on our fuel in the United States. Joe, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Hey, thanks for having me, Matt. Did you recover from last night? Uh, I don't know. It could be a long, long, long recovery. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, I mean, uh, let's, where do you want to start, Donald or Hillary? Well, Both had I, great I, showings. Yeah, I I. I I don't think we need to spend a lot of time on Hillary. She won. She's going to be the nominee. There's no – there's just literally no contest yeah. there. I know uh, Bernie keeps in there and he's got money to keep going and lots and lots of people love him. And Bernie did uh, open up that idea that he's, he want, he's kind of starting a new movement inside yeah. of the Democratic Party, I guess. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, he did say that, but I think he's always been about that. Yeah. I mean that that's what he is. Uh, and, and as some Democrats will say, he's – Actually, not even a Democrat. He's, yeah. he, I'm not even sure even now if he's registered as a Democrat. That's yet. true, huh? But, uh, but, but anyway, he's not, he, he also has made a statement he's not going to go independent even though Trump thinks he really should yeah, well, and run his own independent yeah. race. The, the only conceivable way that Donald Trump will become President Trump is if something like that did if happen. If they could divide the yeah, Democrats. Yeah. yeah, I just I was listening to you guys talking before and I, it would be rare that I would – 
ever agree with Debbie Wasserman Schultz on anything, <laughs> but last night she she called Trump a delusional misogynist. Yeah. And, you know, I think she nailed a couple of and things there. And you're with her on that. Well, it, it, she was specifically responding to the delusional part because Trump was saying, though, you know, he's going to – it wasn't the woman card. Yeah. I don't even think when she said that, that he meant yet, that. Yeah. He, he had, but he, she was responding to a question that, you know, Trump says he's going to win, all, put in play all of these blue states that uh, have not ever been in play before. Because so many, you know, since he's got huge turnouts, uh, right? Uh, and and the fact is, all the states he won last night are states that are never going to be Republican. They're never going well. There, there's the example: Trump last night won 237,000 votes, roughly. Hillary had 533,000 votes. These are Democratic states. Hey, you're stealing my notes. Oh, here. sorry. <laughs> here, take okay. my notes. No, 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 no. But that's the key, huh? They're no, not going to get it. Well, here, Nate Silver, who's yeah. a very smart guy, uh, said you, if you look at the percentage of the people who could vote and you look at the last five wins of Trump, it's like five or six percent. So, yeah. yeah, a lot of people came out and he won them very convincingly. He won 60 percent of five and a half percent of the people in <laughs> New York. Yeah. OK, it's, great. There, there is zero, zero chance that he's going to win New York or put New York even in play. He, and that, that was that, one of his arguments is he will bring he will win New York yeah. in the general. And you're saying it's not. Well, and that's that's, or, the, that's the part I really agree with with uh, Wasserman Schultz on is that that's delusional. Yeah, that is that is literally saying things that you want to be true, but cannot be true. Right. And so, yeah, it's is, uh, I mean, in a way, though, this is. It's it's carrying. You can feel the momentum for him in the Republican nomination yes. process, and yet no. it might. It sounds like it's based a lot on a delusion. Well, it's, he's not going to carry there, the Northeast. There's, there is momentum. You can't. You can't. Uh, uh, you, you can't take away from the fact that he had a huge victory last night. No question about that. So, I would say yes, huge victory. But is he the presumptive candidate? A nominee, I would have to say not yet. Now, yeah. that not yet, may we may be able to say yet next Tuesday. After because, Indiana. Because Indiana really does turn out to be, if you look at all of the, you know, you, you're always calling me an insider, but if you look at real pundits and real insiders who really crunch numbers, all, all across the spectrum, uh, people are saying, look, okay, it's – and it's not – some of them are hopeful – but right. some are just like Nate Silver and Politico guys at Politico. They're they're just pretty calculating people, and they're saying, "Look, it's if he doesn't win Indiana, it's very hard to show a pathway, even if he does really well in California, for him to get twelve thirty seven. Really? And just uh, by random coincidence, I ran into somebody in the airport uh, in Washington D.C. Um, I don't want to give much credibility yeah. to your insider thing, but this this but person I bumped into happened to be Joe. A, you're proving it. A pretty big insider uh, in at the national level in GOP politics, and and the person just said, "We're going to do everything we can at that convention." Now, so unless he walks in with twelve thirty seven, he's going to have a really hard time. And if if he has a hard time, though. Then the GOP could disenfranchise a third of its voters. Well, right but, off, right off the bat, you, you take all of the uh, uh, all of the votes in all the primaries going by 
uh, again, Trump's sort of flawed view of the rigged system, which happens right. to be working in his favor. Yeah. He's gotten about 40 percent of the vote. With the, even with these huge victories in the Northeast, right. he's now about 40 percent of the popular vote. 60 percent of the people voted for not Trump. Yeah. Of, of the people now his claim, Joe, and you answer this. His claim is, well, sure, when you have 17 candidates, 16 you're running against – no one, you're not going to have those numbers. Yeah. But now that you're narrowing it down, he's starting to pull above the 50s. Well, in Is that true? Pol- polling, yeah, polling he, yeah. he's getting ab- above the 50s. But he still only got 40% of the actual people who showed up in Republican right, primaries. True. And a very big chunk of those were not Republicans. And That's true too, huh? If you just look at the closed primaries, he's even less than – well, he's well less than 40%. So um, – and yet he's got he, – he, what he has done is he's gone over 50 percent of the delegates. Until last night, not Trump delegates were bigger than Trump delegates. Hmm. So he's – it's now – he's got about 950 and they're about 920 or something like that. So wow. he's, he's more. Yeah. Um, but he is getting closer. They also – can he win in the West? Well, I mean, that's, that's one of his – That's, that's what I say. If, it, well, if he loses convincingly in Indiana – then he has to win really big in the West, not just a little bit. He has to win really big, and I, I personally don't don't see it, but I, I don't yeah. know. It's yeah. going to come down. In you know, having having grown up in California, and always felt bad that you know, a June sixth or June never 4th, matters. Yeah, it never mattered. Yeah, it's going to matter this time. It's it, it's going to matter. Going to matter, and so. Um, yeah, so we'll see. I mean, he next next Wednesday we could very well be having this conversation saying. You know, it's Trump. Well, he's he's right now, according to uh, a Fox News poll, Trump forty one, Cruz thirty three, Kasich sixteen in Indiana. Yeah, I mean, it's he's still ahead, and he's doing really well apparently in California. He's doing well the national poll or the statewide polls in California, no question about that. But California is a congressional district by congressional district by congressional district fight, and there are going to be, <clears throat> excuse me, plenty of congressional districts that uh, that he doesn't take. Look, I, I don't want to be seen to be saying it's, it could never be Trump. It's right. The, I mean, the, it's, you have to say if you're betting right now, you'd have to say it's looking it's, better and better. It, it, he's going to be the nominee. He, he and that's that's a fact. But he's. I will go way out on a limb and say you're not going to see President Trump. You're confident. Um, no, no, but nobody would have ever thought you're going to see delegate or a nominee Trump. I agree. I have been and wrong. He's a and he's wastely Lots of people have been wrong for a whole year. Isn't that crazy? Uh, when it comes to him. And, and you know, the, the, the beauty of his situation is, is that he's running against uh, maybe not equally flawed, but – but a, a candidate who's got a lot of problems. Right. So, so uh, you know, my my friends on the Democrat side and these, and I mean, genuine friends, people I've known for yeah. many years, and but who are really close to the de- Democratic politics, they're they're kind of nervous I mean, about I, their candidate. They? Yeah, are, they're nervous about Hillary. About Hillary. Yeah, yeah. Are they yeah. nervous about Donald, or are they licking their chops? No, oh, they're they've died and gone to heaven. You know, have they? The, I, Cruz is also a flawed candidate. Yeah. So that's the. I mean, we have, you know, there are lots of problems to talk about here. <laughs> Cruz is a flawed candidate, but he is a candidate who a lot of Republicans would unite behind. Um, who who knows what'll happen? I mean, with, with Trump, I mean, it, it'll be all Hillary has to do is win the same states that Obama won last time, mm. and so you have to say which of those states is. 
uh, Trump going to peel off? Yeah, and it's hard to see what those states are now. He might pick Kasich to be his his uh, VP and mm-hmm. and try to lock up Ohio. That would be very big. Plus, he could he do pretty well in Florida. I mean, I guess there's the Hispanic vote, but Florida is kind of one of his hometowns, and he, you know, he seems to do pretty well there. Well, he he, you know, he did very well in in the Republican primary there. The guy basically has a lock on. Forty percent of a min, of a minority, a minority party, right? You know, right. Um, how does he? Uh, but but he also has a media that. talent with equal to maybe Hillary Clinton's name recognition. Oh, they both start out with I mean, extremely high huge. negatives and yeah. extremely high name ID. Yeah. So, Off so the chart it's, it's, it's really it's really the clash of the titans, the kind of yeah, for, the, for, the disappointing <laughs> titans. <laughs> I mean, they, you know, when you when you when the Hillary supporters are kind of consigned down to well, he's less popular than our guy, you know. <laughs> yeah. then, when they're hanging on that one. <laughs> that's a that's a tough place to be. That is well, it's a weird place to have for the GOP as a no a voting body to have chosen him. I mean, you you had the worst uh, approval record or you know, trust record with Hillary ever and yet you found somebody that people don't like. No, I, I I say the Republican Party searched the entire United States of America and found the one person right. who Hillary could beat. It's so true. <laughs> it's so true. What? Okay. Uh, oh, okay. We'll come back Break when we come back. Day. But answer this question, Joe. When we come back, how do you feel about uh, Cruz and Kasich's work? Like they're combining together. You know, they're saying, "I'll take Indiana, you take New Mexico, Oregon." Are they just desperate? We'll uh, have Joe answer that. Are they playing this well? Uh, I don't know. It's almost like many times Cruz falls off the falls totally off the radar, and it's probably because he's working Indiana. I get it, but is it going to pay off? We'll talk more with Joe Cannon, our Washington insider, when we come back, folks. Helping you, uh, I don't know. Hopefully, see a different side to the political process. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. To the Matt Townsend Show in studio, Joe Cannon, our Washington insider, who's constantly saying he's not, and then in the next sentence talks about three friends that know something because they know people, and they he's the most insider there is. You are so inside, Joe. Come you on, are outside. Come on. <laughs> he hates to hear that. But here's the deal, Joe. What do you think about um, how Cruz and Kasich are handling the battle against Trump? It seems like they're they're just they're not doing a great job and i know cruz has a great team but they decide to team up basically gang up uh follow mitt romney's original idea of play against trump together and uh they wouldn't do that forever now in indiana they basically supposedly make a pact one of you take indiana one take new mexico oregon and then Kasich seems to back off of the deal what's going on 
Well, you know, to use a cliche, too little, too late. I, I, I don't, I don't know if it's too little, but it's definitely too late. Yeah, uh, for for that. And what you've got is cruise is a heat-seeking missile on delegates. He's a and cruise missile. It, there you go, cruise missile aiming at those delegates, and he's doing a pretty good yeah. job of that. So Picking them off. He's doing a really good job at that. And by the way, the Trump people are taking him totally seriously. Oh, they, yeah. they have put a ground team together in Indiana that's working their guts out to try and to try and beat Cruz at his own right. game there. Kasich is is a conflicted guy. Um, I mean, I remember when we very first had this conversation. Yeah. How long we yeah, talking six to months other. ago, probably. You know, I was thinking, you know, Kasich Rubio would be an unbeatable ticket, totally. and, and probably it would have been. But uh, but Kasich is turning out to be kind of a flawed guy himself, so mm-hmm. he's conflicted. He doesn't want to really come out and bash Trump because there's still a completely reasonable hope that he could be the vice president. So yeah. If you're Trump and in a moment, in a in a flash moment of rationality, <laughs> you might say, wow, it'd be kind of nice to take Ohio and maybe Trump or maybe a, a case that could help me do that. Well, that's if he doesn't choose Bill O'Reilly well, yeah, or, as vice president. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, the uh, – <laughs> yeah, when – I couldn't even watch Fox last night. I mean, they're so all in I know. for for Trump. It's really the Trump News Network. Um, you know, I remember when Bill Clinton was president. People, a lot of people would say that CNN was the Clinton News Network. Yeah. Well, Fox is now the Trump News Network. They're just just even Megan is is uh, she's even turned. She's, she's even since that well, meeting softening up. Yeah. yeah. She's, so yeah, yeah. They've they've um, they've helped create him. He they and. Weirdly, uh, Rush Limbaugh have helped create Donald Trump, and it's a, it's a tragedy. Help me with this. Um, <clears throat> it seemed like with uh, Mitt Romney and um, John McCain before that, the the ultra right kind of side of the party were saying we're sick of these moderate, I guess more like rhinos that come in and take over. Now this year they're nominating. Trump basically and yet he's probably very parallel to John McCain and Mitt Romney really politically at, at at best he's probably and they to love the him. left of them he's probably to the left of them in lots of his instinctual right. re- reactions and responses to things uh, I mean what, what is true about him is he does not have any kind of a philosophical core or philosophical gyroscope, which is why, you know. If, well, that's even his theory, yeah. right? That you're, we're going to change. So I may change next year. Yeah. Depending yeah, on. I, or I may change in the next minute. Exactly. I, may, I, I may say that I want to boost the American economy and in the same sentence say, but I'm going to put a tax on all iPhones coming in, into America. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to tax you, the citizens, for making a choice to buy things that come from uh, uh, across the sea or across the border. Hmm. You know, it, it's the those kind of not little, but, you know, significant inconsistencies that. You know, uh, who knows what he's going to say tomorrow right. or or the next day? But but back to back to uh, Cruz and Kasich. The what what you say is true. Cruz is the guy that the base that wanted. You think they wanted in in the in the McCain Romney candidacies. Plus, he's a brute. You know, he'll take on supposedly. I mean, he shut down the government. He'll 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 take it on. No, he has every bit as much. 
steel in his spinal column yeah. as Trump may have. But who knows what Trump will do? I mean, he may say, oh, we can shut down the government. No, by the way, I don't think that's necessarily a good right, idea. Right. But who knows what Trump will do? We we actually know a lot of the things that Cruz would do. We know who Cruz would appoint to the United States Supreme Court. We don't know the persons, but we know the kind of Their persons type, he yeah. would. Who knows what uh, Donald Trump said his sister would make a good judge. Um, Keep it in the family. Uh, uh, justice. So, you know – um, it's really, it's really a tragedy. I, I think I said, I think I said last week, uh, Trump has basically ripped the scab off of the what appeared from the surface to be a cohesive unity uh, among the Republican Party. And the truth is, you got a very large chunk of the party which he owns, and plus some independents and some Democrats who. Um, are just populists. They don't have a philosophy right. either. They're populists, and they don't like them folks in Washington and what they're, you know, what they're doing to us. <laughs> and uh, and yeah. So is do you sense that um, we are going to have more super mega movie starish like candidates because of this? Well, there's no one. I mean, the, the good news. So there's a. There are two legal expressions that are maybe relevant. One is called sui generis, meaning the thing unto like unto itself. There's nothing else there's like, this, like thing. this And and Trump could be in that category. Yeah. Um, there's also another lawyer thing called uh, race ipsilocator. The thing speaks for itself. So really, you know, Trump <laughs> speaks for himself. He, he yeah. is he is what he is. And I think. Really, what's happening is he's pulling the wool over the eyes of all these people who are loving him. They don't know this is a guy who has bought. Says I buy politicians. That's that's what I do. I use the federal government to do what I want it to do. Um, you know, he he says things. Yeah, and and they're going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Look at that. He's going to stick it to Washington. No, he is. An insider, he is an establishment type figure right. who just has a mouth that that uh, is barely controllable, and that's what people love. I, I think that that's what that core. They, they think that they love him saying what you don't say. Right, you don't say certain things, and they like him saying it. I guess because it seems like trustworthy, because he I, says it. He's not. Yeah, talking out of both sides of his mouth, but they're not hearing the yeah, utter exactly. inconsistency, <laughs> and, uh, the the incoherence of, right. of his of what what he might believe. I, I I don't even like to use the word believe in conjunction because I don't. He believes in Donald Trump. He's he's like the uh, situational ethics man that'll be whatever you need him to be whenever you need it. It's like it's like an actor. Well, What's the role you need me to play, and mm-hmm. I'll play that role. He even keeps saying uh, when I when I be, when I act presidential. When I'm presidential sometime, yeah, 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 it's yeah, like a role he'll just you take on. You, you're going to love me because I'm going to be so presidential. You'll get tired of it. You'll, yeah. It'll be so boring when I become yeah. presidential. Well, uh, you know, I, I might even feel better if he were Mr. Situational Ethics. I don't even think it's that good. It's not even that I, clean. I think the kinetic, you know, with the synapses in his brain going on uh, – He's very instinctual about saying what he thinks needs to be said at, yeah. uh, at that time. There's there's no question that he that he does that, but there's really not much of a pattern here either. What like in fact, maybe you're speaking what uh one of the Koch brothers was saying that you know, maybe <clears throat> Hillary Clinton is a more stable choice. Because 
Well, you definitely uh, – I think there's no question what you're going to get with uh, Secretary Clinton. She is she is who she is. She does have a, 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 a compass. She does have a philosophical gyroscope. And it's – frankly, it's to the left of her husband, probably not as far left as Bernie Sanders. But yeah, we're, we're not confused about who – uh, Hillary Clinton is going to She'll appoint be predictable. to the Supreme Court. I mean, we're, not, yeah. we're not confused who's going to be her secretary. We don't know the person, but we know what the person is we'll going to be. Like. She'll be you know, better than President Obama uh, on Israel, for example. But she's still going to be – she's she's going to be that pretty significant left-to-center person, and you know that. And yeah. she's not confused. She's not confused about what she is. Yeah, the markets uh, probably know what that would look like. They yeah, don't have yeah. a clue what the Trump would look like. Yeah, who who is he going to appoint? You know, who does it matter? He, Joe? He'll find somebody. I mean, he'll people will like. Doesn't the government run itself? Really? I mean, th- you can go appoint all these people, but it really, you know. There's, of course, large chunks of the government run itself. I mean, you have, I mean, through through have, the bureaucracy. Yeah, you have tens of thousands of trained career bureaucrats, civil servants who get up in the morning and they yeah. do their job. But there are still things that you can do to affect that. I mean, one of the reasons Ronald Reagan was effective is he picked three or four things that he cared a lot about. And he didn't care much about other things. Yeah. If he cared about those things really significantly so, he did – Get Gorbachev to tear down that wall. Right. He did that because he was, you know, focused so overwhelmingly focused on beating international communism, not accommodating to it. So, so yeah, a, a person with a very strong view on things can can change. But it, I'll tell you, the biggest thing that will change in in the uh, consequence of this election is who's on the Supreme Court because That's they right. can change. A, they can change things in a day. Okay, we're now at. You know, 2016. In 2008, everybody was in favor of marriage between a man and a woman. Everybody. I'm talking Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton. That's right. Everybody. Eight years later. And and now, you know, by by virtue of the Supreme Court and some other things, we change. The Supreme Court can change things in a fundamental way fast. Yeah, instantly. Wow. Uh, Interesting, Joe. Uh, Appreciate you being here. Great insight. Great insight. Joe Cannon's his name. Washington Insider is not his game, according to him. Uh, Also, go check out his website at fuelfreedom.org. He's fighting for you folks to uh, lower the fuel costs here in the United States. And uh, it's just a great uh, organization. Fuelfreedom.org. We'll take a break. Come back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. So appreciate you. I love having Joe in the studio because he, you know, whatever your view, your your insight, he's he's in the know. And the funny thing about Joe is he's he he knows just as many Democrats as Republicans and can love them all. And I think that's what we need more of. We need a country where we can still see a difference in each other, but still care for each other, love each other. And uh, fight for what's best for the country, not just what's best for our politics. So interesting uh, stuff when you when you talk about it. By the way, I forgot to mention it, and it's so critical because today's prime rib day. Today is prime rib day. It's also known as standing rib roast. 
It's located between the 8th and the 12th rib, if you've been looking for it. And uh, by the way, Ben is launching a new prime rib ice cream. Yes. Barbecue base. Uh Uh-huh. Served with a little hollandaise sauce on Mm -hmm. the side. Yep. It sounds fantastic. I'm actually marketing it with the Hershey meat bar uh, Mm. campaign. Perfect combination. Have a little meat bar and then a little uh, uh, prime rib ice cream bar. It's also Tell a Story Day, which we just did right there. We just made up a story for you. (laughs) See how this works? It's it's Administrative Professionals Day. Many employers and supervisors arrange events to show their appreciation for the work carried out by their administrative staff. They're they're professionals that help uh, make everything flow so well. So a shout-out to all of our administrative help and staff and professionals out there. Hey, by the way, uh, interesting news that you – you know, it's only here that you'll find information like this because – we uh, we like to – what do you say? We like to open your eyes a bit. Did you see the airplane fall out of the sky and hit a tree? It just was on the news. It is absolutely crazy. We'll put the audit or the video up. It this airplane falls out of a out of the out of the sky, and you this guy at a tow shop has uh, cameras all over his his property. And you can see the trees start to be rustled and then boom, an airplane lands in the tree, catches on fire, and this plane is burning and all the neighbors, everybody around starts running out to to help the, the guy and there's movement in the airplane. But the airplane's starting to be engulfed in flames. This is all a video you can see. We'll post it on our Twitter feed at Dr. Matt Show. And uh, these men run in and the guy opens the door and falls out of the airplane because it's stuck in a tree. And he runs away, safe as sound, safe and healthy. It's unbelievable. So consider yourself lucky, young man. That uh, This crash, I mean, imagine you all of a sudden are just having your morning coffee in the office, and the next thing you know, you hear a crash, and uh, boom. You're, you're now thrown into the middle of a major news story. Crazy stuff. Anyway, watch it uh, on our on our website again, too, folks. Um, we're all one moment away from needing everyone else, and I guess that's the point of a lot of this. Uh, we all fight against each other when it comes to our politics. You may be so pro Trump, pro Cruz, pro Hillary, pro, pro Bernie, but the reality is you're one crash away from begging. That liberal neighbor of yours to help you. This airplane crash took place in Foley, Alabama. We are all one crash away. We are one blood donation away. We are one, you know, bad day away from needing everybody. Make sense? So no matter how deep you get into this political battle, remember we're all still brothers and sisters, right? Important important to remember. We'll take a break. That's hour number one of the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back next hour. We'll be talking about the blue light, that new blue light on your Apple iPhone. Does it really help you sleep? Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. This is the 
The Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to The Matt Townsend Show. Hour number two of the show. This is the show where we bring you the latest, greatest information, research, how to uh, live longer, love stronger, how to lead healthier, happier lives. Top of the morning to you. Folks, it's Wednesday, and you are succeeding as you are slowly but surely, you know, knocking down the week, taking no hostages. Welcome to the program. Have we got a great show, uh, show for you? It is Prime Rib Day. Oh. What a fantastic day this is. A day to be celebrated by all. In fact, I would suggest everybody at lunch, go grab yourself some prime rib, also known as standing rib roast, and, uh, you know, throw one back. That sounds gross. Throw, don't throw anything. Just eat it. Hey, um, uh, great uh, topic coming up. Have you ever uh, opened your iPhone and just started, well, you know, maybe reading the news? As you're trying to go to bed and you notice that your brain just wakes right up and you can't go back to sleep. Well, Apple, even though their stock is or they're struggling, uh, having a lower fiscal quarter this year than ever before, they invented something to save all of us. This the pains, the problems of that blue light that comes off of our screen that might be keeping us awake. Apple invented a device that will actually dim the light and change it to a different hue. Does it really work? Is Apple really going to save us and, and enable us to sleep more when we have been looking at our iPhone? Well, we're going to find out because we're bringing in Dr. Jeffrey Goodfellow. Dr. Goodfellow is an associate professor uh, in the School of Optometry and is going to be talking about light and what light actually does to our brain. And to our eyes, and uh, if Apple and its new little advice or devices is quite what uh, what they claim it is, we'll be getting into that in just a few minutes. But first, let's get to Katie Jarvis, find out what's going on around the rest of the country. Katie, what's up? Well, Donald Trump has now swept most of the Eastern primaries so far. Yesterday, he proved that the Northeast is his turf. Last night, he had victories in all five voting states. But Trump has another claim. He's now won 12 of the 13 original colonies. And he's favored to win the 13th, which is New Jersey. The Democratic frontrunner Hillary Clinton picked up primary wins in Pennsylvania, Connecticut, Maryland, and Delaware, while Senator Bernie Sanders only won Rhode Island. But Sanders says that he is in the race until the last vote is cast. And the number of defections from ISIS are rising. U.S. Major General, the U.S. Major General announced that $800 million in cash held by ISIS has been destroyed in airstrikes. This has led to the terror organization cutting fighter salaries in half, selling vehicles, rationing electricity, and being unable to afford the sex slaves that they are accustomed to. These measures and cost-cutting techniques have led to a 90% jump in defections and a marked decrease in new recruits. And the Midwest is preparing for another day of bad weather. A series of storms brought huge hail, high winds, flooding, and tornadoes yesterday. The nastiest weather is predicted for an area from Houston into a part of Iowa. Hail as big as grapefruits fell in North Kansas, and winds approached 74 miles per hour. Up, there were uprooted trees, downed power lines, and roof damages. No deaths or injuries have been reported yet. 
A man jumped off the Brooklyn Bridge yesterday, but he is alive. Two witnesses happened to see him take the plunge, and those two witnesses also happened to be NYPD officers on boat patrol in New York Harbor. The 31-year-old man took the leap during rush hour traffic. The officers got there as quickly as they could to try and save him. They say he was actually reluctant to grab the lifeline at first, but by the time they got to him, he was flailing and yelling help in the dangerous current. The officers say... Yet he did eventually grab it and was brought on board. He is at least the fourth person to survive a jump from the bridge since 2004. And that's an update for today. Wow, that is, those are tragic. You know, they're so desperate. And right when you said that, I, I was assuming that was connected to your ISIS story. That oh. they're so desperate because they're losing their money, their funding, their lady friends. That's great news. Uh. To think that you could destroy ISIS by just pulling out its funding. And social media. I thought the whole thing was a movement, a, a movement about philosophy. It's but an organization too. Apparently, it's a yeah, you need to recruit. And if perks. you don't get a signing bonus, do I get a car with my terrorist uh, location and my new uh, terrorist garb? It's crazy. That's sad about the guy jumping, but glad they saved him. Mm-hmm. That's pretty neat. He changed his tune. He totally did. Katie, thank you so much. Appreciate Katie Jarvis. Great news there. Um, it's, it's an interesting thing that uh, we, we try to do on this show. We always talk about the latest and greatest gadgets. I, as you know, uh, I'm highly advanced, very, very, very tech-friendly, tech-savvy, and wear an Apple Watch. Um, no, I do wear an Apple Watch. Okay. I'm wearing one right here. That's an Apple Watch. The problem is I don't know how to use it very well. Um, but So what we've done is we've taken away Ben's privileges of speaking on the show using a microphone because he tends to say stuff that we then have to retract, edit, out, fix. So now Ben is, has taken to the buttons in an effort to communicate his feelings, his moods, his just – you're what, Ben? Oh, you can't talk. Sorry. <laughs> Anywho, um, let me give you this crazy story. Did you guys? Oh, it's too funny. Okay. So, you know, in the courtroom, in the Supreme Court, when they are in session, they have a, a courtroom um, artist that goes in and, and draws the, the justices at the bench, right? And it's a very boring picture because – it's just a bunch of half bodies above a wood yeah. desk. No cameras, no photographs in the courtroom. Yeah. There is, however, a really funny version of one. Have you seen it? <laughs> and everybody is wondering what Clarence Thomas is doing in this sketch because everyone else seems to be sitting up straight, like as my wife would say, like a big boy or a big girl. <laughs> Sit up straight. And they're all sitting up straight, but then all you see is a picture of Clarence Thomas's head. Like, really, no neck, no body, just his head. It's like he's like slid down in his chair. Or there's speculation that he's asleep, he's slouching, he's. And what did the artist end up saying? Um, You know, I'm looking it up. It's the funniest uh, thing about. these drawings because that they had to be intentionally doing that. There's got to be many times that they might make the justice look more 
justice-like. More judicial? Yeah. More honorable. Yeah. Um, anyway, it's it's pretty funny. We, we will have to put it up on our um, on our Twitter page. I can't type and talk. But I wonder if the artist was basically trying to communicate something to the justice. Mm. Like, don't slouch. Or maybe maybe the artist did not agree with something the justice said. It looks like he's either sound asleep or like slowly sliding down in his chair. And his head seems to just barely be above. He just has his hand resting on his – his head resting on his hand, right? I don't think so. Isn't that his hand? No, that's this guy. We're over here. No, you're, he's down there. Oh, see, see, and I even missed the fact that his head was there. Yeah, well, that's a perspective of the artist. Well, yeah, you maybe the angle the artist is sitting, and you can just maybe you can see like you're on like the left side, and you can't quite see the far right side. But kind of, except at the same time, you would adjust that so it doesn't look ridiculous. Yeah, and that looks like his chair is still like a foot or two below the other chair. I mean, he's he's either he's leaning back taking a nap, or he's sliding out. It looks like a ten year old is sitting in a chair. Yeah, they're just too short. Their heads just barely <laughs> popped up over the desk. Uh, the, okay. the artist did say he wasn't sl- he wasn't sleeping on the bench. He often leans back in his chair and looks at the ceiling. He's thinking. Is He's he? listening and taking it in. Well, some would call that catatonic. No. Ben does the exact same thing, and because he can't comment, because he's had his rights to speak taken away from him. Revoked, yes. Yeah. Um, Wait, who took those away from me? Oh, boy. Here we go. He just will not learn, will he? Um, Ben sometimes leans back, puts his feet up on the board. Mm-hmm. Do you remember when he had those wet galoshes on? That was pretty gross. That was bad for the board, too. Right. It took a long time to clean that out. Yeah. He, uh, so apparently, anyway, we'll put it up. You, you be the judge. I, it just looks funny. It's, <laughs> he's just slipping away. Uh, mm. Mumps, apparently breaking out at Harvard University. Yes. Over the last two months, several cases. A mump, a, epide- a mumps epidemic. They're very concerned because mumps can be uh, dangerous. Yeah. But hey, at least it's in Harvard. They'll figure it out. I mean, if anyone's going to figure out. Right. It's at a good place. They have a medical school. They can figure this out. Call the chemistry lab. I mean, better the mumps virus than some other virus. Like the plague. Yeah. That's the, out there. The message Harvard University has for students after a month outbreak with over 40 people sick in two months is uh, take care of yourself. Make sure you've had your shots. Isolate the patients and uh, get back to class. Have, does, does it say if the patients have, have had their shots? Um, it says right here. It's a viral infection. Uh they're not saying what okay. has caused it. But there is a spike, they say. The, the, that means those students expose other people. So they're really more worried about if you have it, see if you have it. And if you have it, isolate yourself. Hmm. Um, but they don't actually say anything about the shots except That's, they probably ought to have their shots. Yeah. Because, you know, there is the rise in, in people who don't get inoculated. Mm-hmm. And then uh, then there's like also the concern of does the – you know the vaccination. The inoc- does it work? Right. If it's not working, and these people got the mumps, that's a concern. But if they never had it, then 
there's that other argument of who's out there in the population that's doesn't have that could you know could spread this to other people because they didn't get their shots. Similar outbreaks, by the way, took place in uh, California in a few years ago, Virginia and Maryland. Yep. And uh, you got to watch out for it. I found this this morning. What? Thought it was interesting. More than half of Americans think Donald Trump might have a point about the country's presidential nominating process being rigged, according to a new Reuters poll. Yeah. The poll found that 51% of likely voters agree that the current system is stacked against certain candidates, with 71% wishing they could just cut out the delegates and pick their party's nominees through a direct vote. See, th- those, that 51% would be Sanders and Trump fans. He says, at the same time, the poll also found that more than a quarter of Americans, about equal parts Democrats and Republicans, aren't exactly sure how the current system works. Yeah, no, that's right. That Every we'll, state is different, hey, and so it's just confusing. Hey, come on. Shh. You don't need to know how it works. That's just kind of the message. Trust the system. <laughs> trust it. Another 44% don't understand why delegates are even involved. That's a great question. It would be clear if it was just a straight up and down vote right not you vote then there's a delegate i guess we're a republic right so we have we believe in representation well the answer to all this is is because these are two clubs and they make their own rules right this isn't the federal election process these are the two clubs they need it to be kind of confusing Mm -hmm. because they can't have everyone in the club but they'd like everyone to pay for the club with the hope that you could and the belief that your little bitty vote actually had something to do with the club when right. really it didn't. God bless America. In New York, the Democrat uh, primary was closed, right? Yeah. Democrats, you had to register a year out. And the reason was so that only those people that were Democrats would get involved and they wouldn't be influenced by independence. Mm-hmm. That's what Bernie Sanders was complaining about. And uh, so you do that, those types of things and have those types of rules to limit who actually can, act, can have effect on your candidate yes, and the votes. You're holding the people back. It's true. Or you're protecting your party. Yeah. Or all of It's a tangled, tangled mess. And I'm going to bet none of them that you have elected are going to go in and change any of it. Of course not. We need it complicated or everyone would do it. Right? It's got to be hard or everyone is going to think they have a say. Thank you. Thank you. I'm here all day. I'm here all day. (laughs) We're going to take a break, folks. But uh, when we come back, this is what you get to look forward to. The blue light that you have on your phone, does it keep you up? Does it impact your sleep habits? And will Apple's new little – their their new button, their new – crazy what are we calling it tool their their little uh, night light night shift they're calling it i think is a new way that they're going to take the blue light off your phone for a certain period of time every day you set the time and that'll make it so you don't get all amped up your melatonin levels stay normal and you don't uh, you can still go to sleep but does it really work we'll be talking with dr jeffrey goodfellow a professor of optometry. Up next, folks, this is The Matt Townsend Show, helping you uh, sleep longer. We'll be right back.
Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, Apple recently released some new products with features. Among those uh, were a new iPad Pro and a new iPhone. These products come with uh, many, you know, new gadgets, one of which is a new lighting technology called Night Shift. Night Shift changes the lighting on the phone to produce less blue light so as to help users go to sleep easier. But uh, will it really work? Is blue light really that big of a problem? And did Apple in their, you know, their new advancement just solve the age supposedly old problem of the blue light that emanates off of our little uh, devices keeping us awake? We'll find out. Our guest today is Dr. Jeffrey Goodfellow, Associate Professor and Assistant Dean for Curriculum and Assessment at Illinois College of Optometry. He joins us now live from Illinois. Dr. Goodfellow, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thanks so much. Great to have you here. Hey, what do you think? Uh, Talk to us about light and blue light. I don't don't quite get uh, the full spectrum of light and and its impact on us. And I guess we need to know that to figure this out about uh, Apple's new device. Well, light is, uh, you know, daylight and the sun is has long been um, an indicator for all of us, um, even before the age of having clocks and, and things like that. Um, when the sun comes up, our, it tells our body it's time to wake up and get ready for the day. And when it gets dark outside, that also kind of tells us that it's time to uh, to go to sleep and get rested for the next day. And so, um, you know, the, the natural cycle of sunlight is, is something that kind of uh, is kind of built into um you know the way our our bodies work and so the, the whole idea of circadian rhythms which is kind of you know the body has a clock that kind of um is important to kind of uh, keep on a schedule and and we know whether it's whether we fly in an airplane and have jet lag or we stay up too late working on a project or things like that but anytime we disrupt that cycle or that that rhythm um you know things kind of get out of whack we don't feel as well we're more prone to get sick um you know the, the, we're just not really designed to, to just be awake all the time. So it's important to kind of keep that cycle and rhythm. And so light certainly plays an important role on that. Um, you know, there's still a lot that's really not not known about, you know, how all of that um, works. But we know that it's um, the wavelengths of, of light that come at us that um, enter our eyes and give us, uh, gives our brain some feedback about uh, about when we, we need to get up and when we go to sleep. Because mm. we have, uh, you know, we have blue light, I guess, it's it's glowing off of our iPhones and our iPads and our television screens, and um, but we also have LED lights. And I guess these the impact of these I, we're having more and more uh, blue light in in kind of just our day to day purchases and in our day to day lives. Is that true than than ever before? That that is certainly true. And so. Um, you know, researchers have found that, you know, when we, we think about how the sun kind of keeps us regulated, that, you know, sunlight is made up of um, all the colors of the rainbow, as, as we kind of remember from our, our elementary school days. Um, and um, in addition to infrared light as well as ultraviolet light, all of those uh, forms of, of the electromagnetic spectrum are coming at us from the sun. But researchers have really identified that it's kind of that blue area of the spectrum, that blue or purple, right? up against um, before it becomes ultraviolet rays, that that blue light is kind of the one that it does the regulation for us. And that's mm. kind of what triggers us to to um, 
you know, go to bed and wake up on, on a schedule. And, you know, for the longest time, our main source of blue light was really from, from the sun. And um, the, you know, even the light indoor electric light bulbs um, that have, you know, powered our country for a long time, they had kind of a yellowish cast to them. You know, the old incandescent old-fashioned light right. bulb, it was more kind of the warm colors, kind of the, the, the yellowish. And so blue light was not really included in the in the, the spectrum of light that was coming off of these older type of, of lights. And so that's kind of why they had mm. a yellowish hue to them. So being exposed to, to that type of light doesn't kind of trigger the mechanism in our brain to kind of stay awake. Um, but you're right. All of the, the new devices, the LED lights, the compact fluorescent lights, um, a lot of the more modern lighting now is more kind of the cool white lighting. It has more kind of a, it resembles more of the, the sunshine, you know, the, the kind of that white, uh, whiter mm-hmm. or that cooler uh, color. But because, you know, what makes that have more of a white or a cooler color and not be as yellow as the old-fashioned light bulbs is that they're including more blue in the spectrum of, of what those lights emit. And so we are kind of being bombarded all day long with, um, with blue lights in our offices, blue lights um, in LEDs, um, and blue lights in all these um, devices that we stare at all day long and, you know, staring at our, our phone even right before we go to sleep. All of those, those blue lights are kind of sending signals to our brain to, hey, it's day, we should stay up late, uh, keep working kind of a feeling. Hmm. Is it... Um it's it's so funny. I went and they're incentivizing people, you know, to buy these LED lights because they're more they're uh, they're they're friendlier to the environment. So I went and bought a bunch of them, not necessarily knowing that there's kind of the warmer light. I mean, I knew it, but I didn't I couldn't discern while I was at the store. And I bought a bunch of the bluer uh, LED bulbs um, and you know put them in our upstairs. And then at night, it looked like I don't know. It kind of looked like a landing strip. Um, or like a marijuana grow site um, in my upstairs because it's such a different light. And I real I noticed just in my own energy, um, you know, I feel better in a warmer light than just these bright blue lights. Is that what is it doing to me? Yeah, I mean, I think. I mean, for one, you know, there's not a lot of research, you know, out there to show, you know, the long-term effects of these type of lights. And so, you know, lighting is kind of a subtle difference. I guess I don't want to paint the picture that, oh, my goodness, you got to get those out of your house. These are very dangerous or things like that. But you're right. There are kind of these subtle, um, you know, one, sometimes it could just even be a subjective preference of just – you know, the, the way that your room feels, you know, we know that color in general um, changes the way that we see the world. And, um, you know, and, you know, the, the lighting is a very important choice um, that certainly designers talk about, um, you know, the type of lighting that they put in, in grocery stores or in museums is chosen for a very specific reason uh, right. to highlight what's there and to make people feel a certain way. And so um, you're right. If, um, you know, the, the choices of lighting that you have at home can really kind of change the way you see the world and kind of feel. And sometimes it almost can be, you know, walk into a room, it's almost too bright or just kind of just you know, overstimulating sometimes, and sometimes kind of a, a warmer um, light can be a little bit more comforting, mm. um, especially at nighttime. You know, one of the things about LED lights is they are just so powerfully bright, and um, you know, you know the the unless you have things on a dimmer or things like that, the, the amount of light that we need, um, especially later in the day. Um, 
you know, needs to, is is often less. Even when you're using, you know, your computer screen, for example, you know, during the day when it's pretty light outside, you might need to have that screen very bright so that it shows up in contrast to the rest of the world. But at night, that same screen brightness would just seem way overpowering, and so you have to kind of uh, bring down the the uh, illumination a little bit to right. make it feel comfortable. And and thus, uh, the topic here. Um, so. Night Shift was then created, I guess, or engineered by Apple's team so that these new devices and all of our iPhones, iPads, they now have the ability, I guess, to remove the blue light and and make it a more yellow light. Is that what they're doing? Yeah, essentially, they're basically just um, adding an algorithm to their screen, um, you know, output to kind of remove or turn off the pixels that are emitting more of the blue spectrum. And the idea is is that if if it's the blue spectrum, which artificially causes people to, um, you know, their brains to kind of experience daylight and awake feelings, if they turn off those pixels, um, it would allow people to, to use their device closer to bedtime um, without necessarily having the overstimulation of, of, of you know, being awake. So the idea is, is that, um, you know, Hopefully, people can turn off their device and get to sleep in in a better way. Yeah, I mean, you're the optometrist and uh, or a professor, and um, I'm thinking that um, all we'd have to really do is just shut our eyes. <laughs> you're right, <laughs> and and, uh, and and just you know. Our eyes are really not designed to be staring at computers or even books, paper books, um, for you know all this time. You know, our eyes—the default focus of our eyes—is really for far away viewing, and uh, you know, so you know, our eyes are meant to kind of zoom in and focus a little bit on something up close, and then kind of go back to their default focus, mm. looking far away. So. Um, you know, when we kind of lock our focus up close, when we read or we use a computer or hold an, uh, an iPad or a smartphone up to our eyes for just many, many hours, you know, that alone causes a lot of strain. It really, you know, whether there's blue light there or not um, is not necessarily the, the the magic answer. But you're very right. Just, you know, giving your eyes a break oftentimes can be um, helpful. <laughs> go to in, sleep. In making, yeah, go to sleep. You know, it's uh, – and, you know, and, and – some of the re- the researchers are also not clear about you know what you know what you do before bedtime um, does impact a lot on how quickly you can fall asleep you know whether you exercise too much or you have too much caffeine or whether you know you you've uh, you're excited about something and so there's some research to say you know what using a smartphone um, before bed is just stimulating your mind and keeps you kind of active maybe it's not so much the blue light that's keeping you right. awake it's just the idea of just being kind of stimulated before bed which you know if you're not using your phone if you're kind of in quiet meditation or you're just kind of kind of you know preparing mentally for the the next day and kind of ramping down um, that that might be the key to, to having a better night's sleep so much than, than the blue light itself yeah I mean Jeffrey when I grew up you know it was about counting sheep <laughs> right? And now we're like playing some bejeweled game. App, 
right. right. Exactly. It's messed up. Let's take a break. We're speaking with Dr. Jeffrey Goodfellow, who is a uh, an associate professor and assistant dean for curriculum and assessment at Illinois College of Optometry. He's walking us through uh, what I'm calling the blue light special. You can also find it at Kmart. And um, what we are talking about, though, is this uh, blue light, the impact that it has on us, and Apple's device, Night Shift. Does it really take care of that? When we come back, we'll continue the discussion. We're also going to talk about eye strain. The reality is we're straining to see stuff. More and more people are um, it's, uh, are having their vision impacted by all this screen time, as, as the good doctor was just telling us. We're going to just learn the tools, the information you need to uh, use your phones and your new technology in a healthier way. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. I love that song. Mm. Yeah, bright, blue light, sunshiny day. Welcome back, folks. Today we are talking about blue light and uh, not the blue light that you saw at Kmart when you'd get a discount, but the blue light that is on your phone, your iPads. It's everywhere, folks. And in fact, uh, Apple has created what they're calling night shift, where you set a little timer and it Whatever time, sundown, boom, you, you, uh, they remove the blue light spectrum, I guess, uh, from the phone, and you have a different, like I guess, more yellow light that uh, supposedly would impact your sleep less, your melatonin levels less. And, you know, we wanted to see if, are they, is this for real? So we've been asking and talking with Dr. Jeffrey Goodfellow, who is an associate professor and assistant dean at uh, the uh, Illinois College of Optometry. He joins us now from Illinois. Welcome back, Dr. Goodfellow. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me, Matt. Talk about the, um, uh, the I guess the strain is a big deal, right? Because I w- I've always wondered what these phones are doing to us um, because we're, we, like you were saying, we have this this phone a foot from our head, our face. We're focusing at a level and... It's staying there for hours with light probably that we're not used to. And it's is it impacting us? What does it do to our eyes? Well, there does seem to um, be information that suggests that, you know, all of these um, near devices may be taking a toll on our eyes. You know, there's um, the long-term toll is kind of difficult to determine. Uh, I'll start with the short-term um, and I think um, there is lots of information to show that um, eye strain is definitely something that is um, common, as well as dry eye, irritable eyes, headaches, those type of things, which definitely come from us using our eyes in an up-close environment for just extended periods of time. Um, and as we had mentioned before, you know, our, our eyes are really designed, um, you know, out of the gate to be looking far away. And so um, we have uh, the ability inside of our, our eyes for our lens to kind of change its shape. And there's a little muscle in the eye which can kind of um, change the focus of the lens to allow us to see up close. Right. It's really designed to just do that briefly and then kind of go back to looking far away. So when we kind of lock our focus in up close, um, it definitely can cause all kinds of, uh, you know, um, 
you know, problems. And I think the other thing, too, is, is that, um, you know, all of our eyes are different, and some people have um, eyes that may not be perfectly aligned, or they may have, a, you know, a f- one eye may not focus as well as the other, or there may be other underlying things that under normal circumstances, um, you know, the person's able to compensate for those and be fine. But when you put their eyes under intense strain by looking at a computer all day or reading a book for, you know, five hours without taking a break, all those kind of things, um, it may, those little problems can start to become a big deal and mm. people may start to, to notice, um, you know, problems with headaches and uncomfortable vision. But but I guess we're, we are newer to the blue light than we are, I guess, the UV light, uh, right? I mean, because the UV light, that that does cause other issues like cataracts. And I guess we don't know what the blue light does yet. That's a fair statement. I think um, researchers have, have long known that ultraviolet um, light, um, it, it can be damaging to all um, body tissues. And certainly, um, we're all well informed about wearing sunscreen on a, on a sunny day and, and um, as um, Eye care professionals, everybody has been, you know, told for many, many years now, wear sunglasses outside. You need to protect your eyes because, um, you know, the front of your eyes can get sunburned just like any other structure of the eye. And um, you're right, the inside of the eye, the cataracts of, um, that can happen to the, the lens inside the eye, um, as well as, you know, more serious things like macular degeneration, mm. some real um, serious problems that, you know, after many, many years of exposure to ultraviolet light, um, that damage kind of builds up cumulatively relatively over time. And, you know, um, we have some of our elderly patients that end up with a lot of these, um, you know, pretty, you know, serious, you know, eye problems that causes them to lose vision and, and kind of function in life. Um, so, you know, we, we're often told about, you know, protect your eyes from, from UV radiation um, to protect those things. But more recently, um, you know, blue light has now also been implicated in kind of causing some of those things as well. And and if you think about the the, the whole spectrum of uh, you know UV light gradually blends into purple and blue light, which gradually you know blends into you know the the, the green, orange, and yellow, and the reds, and gradually fades into infrared. It's a, it is a a, a spectrum and mm. it's a slow change from one. If you can imagine, even the rainbow is not just pure red and then a clear bright right. switches to orange. It's a fading. And so, you know, ultraviolet, which we know is damaging, um, is right up against kind of these blue and purple lights. And so there isn't, you know, a, a real line in the sand where this is the, the, um, you know, with the yeah. cutoff of where light is, you know, where radiation is damaging and light right next to it is perfectly safe and healthy. It's a slow change. And so like a lot of things in life, um, you know, everything kind of in moderation in that um, some of these blue um, lights, al- although they're not as dangerous as, as some of the ultraviolet spectrum, because they're up against the short wavelengths of, of UV light, they also now have been implicated in having some, some properties that in the long term, can kind of damage our eyes over time. Yeah. Again, we're speaking with Dr. Jeffrey Goodfellow um, about uh, about the blue light that's coming off of your phones, your iPads, and uh, I mean it's it's really it's it's everywhere anyway. But now we're actually just pushing it into our faces from about a foot away. Uh, Dr. Goodfellow, let me ask you this because I've noticed that when I am around people that are on their phone. 
uh, and I want you to tell me if there's a correlation. Um, a lot of these people seem to become antisocial. They become incredibly boring people that don't talk to you and just look at their screen. Does anything? Does any of that have anything to do with the light? Probably not. Okay. Darn it. <laughs> Probably not. I, w- I wish I could, uh, even for my own kids and all the, the students that I get to work with, I think our <laughs> yeah. entire society has really uh, been easily distracted. For I, sure. It's like making zombies. It seems like this light generates – it's the zombie apocalypse. It's the way the zombie gets into us. Yeah. Well, and I mean, when we kind of laugh, and, and although I can say that it probably has nothing to do with, with your eyes, I mean, there is kind of a long-term – cumulative effect socially on, I think, our culture and our society. Right. Um, when when uh, young people are trained from a very early age to be intently um, engaged in their device, and I think that there is some literature out there to show that, you know, some of our younger people are not maybe uh, as adept at communicating um, with one another as they once were from all these different things. That's the key, too, because we're not – we don't have long-term research, right? We've only been doing this for a decade or so. And, um, I mean, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what really happens there. Talk to us about some solutions. What are things that I should be doing uh, to make sure that uh, my eyes are protected, that I'm not, you know, you know losing my nearsightedness or my farsightedness? What, what are the precautions we should take? Well, probably the the first thing is is just to be um, smart in the way that you use your eyes. Um, so certainly, um, you know, when you are um, reading and doing things up close, and don't get me wrong, I mean, I need I use a computer all day in, at my work. Um, I certainly have a smartphone in my pocket, which gets me around town, and and I spend a lot of time on that as well. But the, probably the more important thing is is just. Uh, you know, the American Optometric Association has what they call the 20-20-20 rule, which is, you know, every 20 minutes when you're working on a computer or smartphone, give your eyes a 20-second break by looking at something 20 feet away. In other words, just these periodic breaks where you return your eyes kind of to their default focus far away is just enough to kind of give them a break, relax those muscles in the eye, and then after that, you're kind of ready and refreshed again to to have another 20 minutes of work. So just, you know, just periodic breaks and go a long way into kind of reducing a lot of the eye strain and some of the things that go on. Um, the other thing is is to to blink your eyes frequently when you're use, when you're reading, when you're using a computer, smartphone, iPad, those type of things. Um, we know, um, you know, the research data has shown that, you know, our, our normal blink rate that we just, our eyes automatically blink without us thinking about it, decreases um, considerably when we, when we stare at a near device <laughs> and we hold our eyes open longer. And yeah. so uh, because of that, they um, are more prone to getting dried out, strained. So even just being conscious about blinking your eyes frequently and whether it's, you know, at the end of every line or uh, certain paragraphs, things like that, you just kind of blink frequently. That can also help too. And then I think probably, you know, most important after that is just protecting your eyes. So making sure that um, you wear sunglasses outside, making sure that you wear sports glasses or eye protection when you're playing sports or, or doing anything, working out in the garage and, and things like that to protect your eyes. And then probably the last thing, would be um, to make sure that you you get a regular eye exam um, at least once a year to just 
um, make sure your eyes are healthy, uh, make sure they can see well, make sure the eyes are well aligned, make sure that the pressure in the eyes is okay, make sure the vision is good. Um, there are so many things, um, like anything with the body, if there's a problem, you want to know about it early um, rather than it, before it becomes a problem that's difficult to fix. And so um, regular eye care also goes a long way to kind of making sure your eyes are in uh, tip-top shape. Yeah. Uh, great advice. Uh, let's do one more question because I can hear somebody out there saying, why are you picking on technology? So so help me with this one, doctor, and just you, you can make it as easy or as hard as you'd like. Um, when it comes to the sun, we shouldn't stare into the sun, right? For sure. Okay. Ba- bad for our eyes. Bad, bad. Okay, so we've covered the spectrum. Uh, Don't look at technology too long. Use all of these other techniques. Like that blinking thing makes sense, right? People aren't Mm -hmm. blinking as much, yet you're taking in all this light. It's it's interesting, isn't it? Like it seems counterintuitive. It seems like you would naturally blink more, but but we don't. And protect the eyes. Look kind of at a mid-range area. These are great, great tools for all of us. Dr. Jeffrey Goodfellow, thank you so much for your insight and – your insight, no pun intended, but we appreciate it, and we are going to uh, take your advice to heart. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Have a great day, man. Take care. Again, Dr. Jeffrey Goodfellow, and uh, he's he's the real deal, folks. When you think about it, you're not blinking, but you're looking looking and staring at something, and your brain's like, yeah, let's, let's blink less. That's why they're drying out. If your eyes crack and you know make weird noises when you blink... You need to blink more. You need some more fluid in there. We'll take a break, folks. Some advice from the other doctor, the non-optometrist, ophthalmologist. We'll take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. I go get my eyes checked every two years. And here's the crazy thing. I go and, you know, they do the test, that awkward moment where you're like, A or B, B, A, A, B, B, A, A, B. And I always get nervous about that. But... um, then there's this moment where they give you the glasses and you are like, holy cow, things are sharp. I got my first pair of glasses about a year ago. Yeah. And my depth perception was so messed up that I was tripping over everything. <gasps> Is that yeah. what it was? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. That was <clears throat> embarrassing. Yeah, it wasn't here, so. Ben, don't deny. Um so it, doesn't it make sense that you should value yourself enough to go have your eyes checked, right? We go to the doctor. You're supposed to get a checkup, I guess, annually or whatever uh, when you're at my age. <laughs> and uh, we, should, we should do that. But you should also get your eyes checked and wear protective lenses, wear sunglasses when you're out there, um, outside – and yet we don't. And it might just be because we don't – I guess we don't value ourselves enough. But as a family now that uh, with my parents, my extended family suffering from macular degeneration, from cataracts and, um, and uh, glaucoma, 
and other eye issues, it's a scary, scary thing. You lose your eyes. Can you imagine not being able to see or only being able to see out of the corner of your eye? So you're always kind of looking to the corner. Oh, that's hard. Um, That's a hard way to live. And not to mention the fact that people are going to be totally freaked out by you sometimes when you're always looking out of the corner of your eye. It's hard stuff. And so let's, let's just learn just information, right? And value yourself. Value yourself enough to uh, take care of yourself. Now, here's a story of a man not, I guess, valuing himself enough. Um, what is the worth of a soul? Depends what soul. Oh, Ben. No, it doesn't. Everyone's soul is in, is, is, has no value. It's, it's, it's priceless. Man, depends on the soul. It depends. Um, Police say a Kentucky man lied about being kidnapped, and then he demanded a ransom from his relatives. So he pretended to be kidnapped, demanded a ransom, and the sad truth is the ransom was $150. So we've got your son. We've got him. We will kill him unless you pay a ransom. Oh, boy. Really? How much do you want for little for little Austin? We want $150. <laughs> Is that all? Yeah, just $150. That's a little too much. And a bag of Oreos. <laughs> well, I don't know if I have $150. Let me check my purse. Hang on a sec. Leroy, do you have $150 so that they don't kill Austin? No, let him kill him. Austin M. Kaler's family members told police the 20-year-old told them he was being held prisoner. Police said they tracked down Kaler to a house, and he tried to run before admitting to the hoax. Kaler told police that the ransom had to be delivered by a certain time or he would be killed, and that he planned to use the ransom money to buy drugs, the police said. 150 bucks. Let me just give you a, a little advice out there. We call this segment Coaching the Con. Um, if you're going to claim ransom, you might want to value yourself more than 150 bucks. Well, just to lead off suspicion. Yeah. It's like pricing things. If you price it too low, right. it's, you're going to be suspicious right. of the product, right? Yeah. So what you might also want to do if you really want to get it done is do what the pros do. Give them a range. Give them three choices. For 500 bucks, we will return him without a problem. For 150 bucks, No hands. We'll return him handless. 50 bucks, We'll give you his shoe. Yeah. Well, yeah. We'll give you his wallet back so that you can do what you got to do. Anyway, interesting. People, the worth of a soul is great. Definitely more than 150 bucks. We'll take a break. This uh, is the Matt Townsend Show. Join us next hour. More tools, more information to help you get through this crazy thing called life and do it with a smile. We'll be back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. 
Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show, hour number three of Utopia. For a few of you, this is the show where we give you the tools, the information that you need to make it through this crazy thing called life. You know, most of us did not get a handbook. I happened to be born with a handbook. My mother hated it. (laughs) Always dragging my handbook around. Uh, On the show, we try to give you the tools you need. Today, we are going to be speaking with Dr. Brian Boutwell, who is a researcher and a professor, and uh, he may be able to answer for you why many of those parenting studies that you hear about on this show and other shows, why they may not actually be accurate. Maybe they're not as accurate as they claim to be. Have you ever felt like, that doesn't seem like that's right in my family? Well, it might be because that we're missing a very important part of the puzzle when it comes to some of the research over families. Like, how about genetics? And uh, many of these uh, research studies do not account for a genetic component that's going into everything that, uh, that we do. Remember, nature or nurture? Anyway, interesting stuff. We'll be talking about that in just a few moments. We will also be visiting with our good uh, buddies, our brethren down at BYU Sports Nation. Spencer and Jerem will join us and be talking about what's going to be on their show at the top of the hour. You do not want to miss that moment. Um, And I'm going to be talking to them about would they sleep in the home of a serial killer? Interesting question. They always have their questions. We like to have our Twitter question. Would you sleep in the home of a serial killer if it was for rent during the Republican convention? I'm going to bet it'll be sold out because there's a, it's, you know, there's a lot of crazy people at these conventions. Anyway, we'll be getting to that as well. But first, to knock it all off, who better to lead us into uh, this next hour but our own Katie Jarvis. And uh, she's going to give us our headlines. Katie? Thanks, Matt. Even though Donald Trump swept the Northeastern primaries yesterday, a New York State Supreme Court justice has decided that an ongoing lawsuit against Trump University will go to trial. The attorney general said in a statement that thousands of Trump's alleged victims have been waiting for years for a verdict. He also said that he believes Donald Trump created the sham for-profit college to defraud thousands of students out of millions of dollars. And the number of defections from ISIS are on the rise, and the reason is that the perks are being reduced. $800 million in cash held by ISIS has recently been destroyed in airstrikes. The financial crisis has led to the terror organization cutting back on fighter salaries, selling vehicles, rationing electricity, and not being able to afford the sex slaves they are accustomed to. These cost-saving measures have led to a 90% jump in defections and a decrease in new recruits. And nearly a dozen Harvard students are quarantined because of mumps outbreak. The outbreak at the university has affected 40 members of the school community in the last two months. Harvard first announced last month that there were two confirmed cases of mumps at the school. The number has continued to rise despite investigations into what is causing the infection. The public health department did find that all the six students had received a mumps vaccine prior to getting the infection. Officials say that there are no confirmed cases in the city that are not related to the Harvard student community. And tens of thousands of chickens got fried in a large farm fire. The chickens have died in a fire at a coop in Connecticut that belongs to a major egg producer. The Hartford Current reports that at least 80,000 chickens were killed in the blaze. The company is the largest egg producer in New England. More than 150 firefighters from 25 departments responded. Eyewitnesses told the station that they could see the smoke miles away. (laughs) 
<laughs> yep. Smelled like I'm chicken. holding back. <laughs> I'm holding back. Finger licking good. <laughs> that is a horrible situation. 80,000 birds. Yeah. Chickens. That's a lot of chickens. That is a lot of chickens. <sighs> 25 fire departments. <sighs> There's just so many things you could say. And I'm trying to be professional. Well it's done. tragic. It's devastating. Juicy. <laughs> Delicious. <laughs> <laughs> no, Katie, no. Don't take me there. Katie Jarvis, thank you so much. Great, uh, great news delivery of bad news. Well done. But can you imagine? Oh, boy, the carnage of that and the smell, really, of chicken in the area. Oh, that's just sad. Um, it's a uh, it's it's just, I guess, life. Right. If you're going to the, the, the chickens are going to die at some point because I know a lot of people are going to be mad, but a fire. That's sad. Uh, I guess it could be um, it could be worse uh, in the end. What uh, one of the things that um, I started talking about before the break is that uh, in Ohio for the Republican convention, they are there's there's the childhood home of the serial killer Jeffrey Dahmer, and people apparently it's and it's going to be available for rent during the Republican National Convention this summer. And it'll be about eight thousand dollars a month um, to rent it. So, Terry, would you rent the home of a Serial killer. Have they removed the items from the home? What items? Well, the ones they know about. Okay. I just if someone's gone through the home and they've removed the furniture and the you know, the the, the elements of him from the home, then yeah, I guess. Then you have a story to tell people. Okay, okay, let me just tell you. So the convention, fantastic. Kind of like a mass murder. <laughs> But the cool thing was, we um, forget the convention, we stayed at Jeffrey Dahmer's place. I stayed in the very room mm. that Jeffrey Dahmer slept in. Would you want to ever say that? No. That's crazy. But That's... if you did, nobody could top that story. Oh, really? Because I stayed in <laughs> the house where Ted Bundy no. was born. That is kind of interesting that they're renting that out. That is a little – that's weird. Do you think? Yeah, I think it's it's odd. But I don't know what you do. Do you knock it down? Yeah, you do. Is that what you should do? You knock it down and you make something else out of it. Right? Just use the land for some other purpose. Yeah, like a petting zoo. Okay. <laughs> Nobody's going to be mad about a petting zoo, right? Everybody loves a petting zoo. Or a, or a park or something. Yeah. Don't you think? It's probably in the middle of a neighborhood. Yeah, it's kind of, uh, I don't know, that's just super weird. Yeah. I don't care what you say. It's just crazy, crazy weird. What else do we need to talk about, uh, Terry? Anything there, that you got there, on your there list? There's a huge issue in California that you need to weigh in on because there's a, there's a problem. What? San Diego Beach, a 60,000-pound, 60, 60, 40-foot-long whale washed up, and uh, they don't know what to do with the carcass. It's on the beach. It's it's as you imagine. It's in the way there. There's photos of uh, adults trying to take pictures of it. 
They figure the uh, the whale died out at sea and it was washed into shore, but now it's just laying there on the beach. It's a fairly popular beach. People like to go and hang out on the weekends, but they say it, it has a problem because the whale is decomposing. Oh, boy. There is a horrendous stench, and people are, are, uh. are braving the stench to go take selfies with it Ooh. because that's what we do now. We yeah. take selfies with everything. Not too close. That may explode, Jimmy. So the problem is how, how, what do you do to get rid of it? <clears throat> There's an idea where you could tow it back out to sea. Yeah, that's what I would But do. they have problems because of different currents, and it's not as shallow. It's too shallow, so bringing a boat that close in would cause it's problems. hard, sure. And then <clears throat> getting it out, the only way off the beach is underneath uh, some railroad tracks that kind of go over the top, and then you have a pathway underneath to yeah, get out. so that's hard to get the so whale out that way. Chuck, yeah, and so then it's like, okay, do you cut it up? How do you eat an elephant? But then, well... What do you mean, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time? Is that right. what you're saying? So well, how do you take care of a whale? Well, they're saying, do you cut it up? But then you got to get trucks out there. And again, you have yeah. the access is an issue. And I mean, they haven't even discussed the one that I saw in Seattle on video. I don't know if it's real or not, but there's a video of them trying to use dynamite yeah. to blow it up. <sighs> and the piece of it landed on a car and destroyed the car. But I think what you do, this is where you bring the scouts in. I think Boy Scouts could figure it out. Boy Scouts could figure it out. If not, have a lot of fun for a couple weeks. And then, you know, they always have to leave their campsite un... Yeah, no trace camping, right? No trace camping. So unharmed. So what you do is you just invite a jamboree of maybe three, four hundred scouts (laughs) to come to the beach and let them stay there a couple weeks. And then (laughs) when they're all trying to leave, say, ho, 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 ho. Who brought the whale? <laughs> and you when don't I, let anybody leave until when they I, get rid of the whale. When well. I was in Scouts, there was a whittling merit badge. And basically, <laughs> it taught a lot of knife safety. You had to yeah. learn how to use several different types right. of knives. Go out there and take care of the whale, what, what, I guess. What would they do with it? Well, there's... I've got whale in my eye. There's a tendency for some you know, pyro type activities yeah. with scouts but you know I, I still think the scout idea is better than blowing it up or i would just say look boys nobody's leaving till we leave no trace behind i don't care how you get this well out of here get it out of here it's in uh san onfri state beach apparently that's a, a popular place to go down in the, near uh, south Cl- or what san clemente mm-hmm. so yeah See, these are the crazy things that just happen because of life. It's not even your fault. It just happens. Um, Another one was in Mesa, Arizona, where a homeowner says an emergency slide from an airplane landed on her house. Some airplane Hmm. is missing their slide. Okay. A couple days ago, we did a story about a woman that didn't – had never been on an airplane and she opened the back door thinking it was the restroom. Yes. She wasn't in flight, was she? Because if she was, they found her slide. (laughs) Might have been, except I think that might have been in China. China, I think it was. This was in Arizona. It's definitely a blessing uh, that that, uh, the damage um, was to the tree and not to any human being. But this huge bang, loud bang, and then the house actually shook, this homeowner said, and it landed right outside Andrea's front door. So imagine you go out there and all of a sudden you're like, there's an emergency slide. And then the kids come out. And they just start sliding down the slide. It's a slide. Yay. Hmm. From heaven. I was praying for a slide, Mom. (laughs) And now we've got one. That's pretty freaky. Yeah. What do you do? I mean, who do you call? 
I don't know. It's it's the same it's people not, you call for the whale. Is it? Yeah. The same people? I guess the slide wouldn't have a sticker on the side that says like, you know, Delta or something. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, Delta slide. That's what you do. <laughs> you take the slide to where this whale is. Okay. You put the whale on the slide like it's like it's, you know, Okay, you this know. is a 40 foot 60,000 pound right. whale. How how big is the slide? I'm sure the slide is huge. Not that big. You're oh, trying to I get bet. from an airplane to the ground. And then it, then it just kind of looks like somebody in the swimming pool. Okay. Just floating on one of those flotation things. Yeah. With put some sunglasses on the whale and then push it off onto onto the way to maybe Japan. Yeah, that that's not probably how this will work, but it's interesting approach there. I like that. We try to give you ideas here. Uh, a lot of the ideas are things you've never thought about. We uh, or if no, you have, they're not going to work as as why, why as you, you've demonstrated. Why do you immediately diminish my idea? We have a slide built for humans. And you're trying to put a 60,000-pound whale on it and float it out to the ocean. Yeah, but that whale has probably lost tons of fluids by now. They are leaking all over the beach, right. they say. Just so, get yeah. it on the little thing, float it out there, and then that's it. Who? Push it and then call one of those whaling ships. So we found a, we found a whale that's just floating around. From Japan? Because uh-huh. that's where they do whaling. Yeah. And then the whaling ship will come get it. They'll harpoon it. Boom. Problem solved. Do I have to solve every problem on Earth? <laughs> I don't know if you've solved anything. <sighs> you guys. You got to think bigger. <laughs> They're you... trying not to destroy the beach. They won't. They're trying to find a way. They can't, they can't just pull it out to the ocean. So floating it out to the ocean is going to be an issue. Call the whaling ship. Well, the ship can't get there. Sure it can. Okay. For a whale? You bet they can. Just saying. Do you know how much oil's in that whale? Not much anymore. It's all over the beach. <laughs> By the way, I have had, not to brag, I have had whale blubber. And? Sweetened whale blubber. Is it kind of chewy? In the Yukon, Alaska. It's not chewy. Oh. It's like taking a bite of... Um, Spam? Crisco. Wow. They call it like Alaskan ice cream. It's a native... And then some fish eggs. Delectable. <laughs> wow. All right, so Crisco. Watch what you eat in Sugary Alaska. Crisco. Yeah. Sugary Crisco. That's why we're here, folks. Wow. Profound insight. You'd have to eat Crisco to kind of understand that, I guess. You don't? No, I really try to avoid eating straight Crisco. Have you tried Ben's ice cream? Is it the same thing? Very close. Wow. We'll be marketing it on his new website as soon as he puts one together. We're going to take a break, my friends. When we come back, we will be talking about why some of the parenting research may not matter uh, because maybe they're not actually taking in account uh, all of the things that impact our children's lives. Like how about genetics? Dr. Brian Boutwell will be joining us and uh, walking us through a little mistake that may be appearing in a lot of social science research. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, there is so much parenting advice in the world today. Some research tells you to start your children in school young and, uh, you know, help them with their homework. And other research says that's just, you know, it's all up to their child's play. Let them play. Don't hover. 
Some studies say to set clear rules and be consistent in the discipline, while others even contradict that. So when it comes down to social science research, is it all it's cracked up to be? And uh, really, what uh, is parenting the only role that is impacting what happens to our children? Uh, According to our next guest, Dr. Brian Boutwell, who's an associate professor of criminology and criminal justice at St. Louis University, he is uh, saying we might want to pay attention to a new perspective to parenting advice today and and maybe make sure we're covering all of the bases um, in our social science research. Dr. Boutwell, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thanks so much, Matt. It's really a pleasure to uh, to get to chat with you. Thank you so much for having me. You too. Great to have you. And in a way, you're. It seems like you're you're going to be upsetting a lot of social workers out there because you're questioning <laughs> their approach. But talk about what is your view here when it comes to social science? We're missing a factor or two in a lot of our studies. Sure. Yeah, I, I think really uh, you had mentioned the. Uh, the article I, I wrote for Quillette on, on parenting and social science research in general. And I think really that was the most important takeaway from it. Now, people tended to focus on the parenting aspect, and, and, and we can certainly talk about that. But just for social science research in general, we have, you know, decades and decades and decades of research on a variety of topics, right, whether it's parenting effects on personality or neighborhood effects on behavior or, you know, any number of things that are of interest to, you know, to social scientists when we try to figure out why people do the things they do. The trouble with with a good portion of that research, uh, practically all of it in some cases, is that we failed to take account of genetic influences on personality and genetic influences on behavior and uh, really uh, all of the important ways that, that our genes influence the types of people that we become. I mean, but that's crazy because that is the root of the issue, right? Nature, nurture. Right. So the nature is the genetic, I guess. Yeah, uh, yes, sir. But yep. we, so okay, keep 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 going. Not to interrupt you, but it just blew my mind. Like, yeah, that's. <laughs> it seemed like we were trying to solve that nature nurture problem. Right, and and so the 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 interesting thing is for there was a, a good stretch of time there where the prevailing assumption was that the nature part of the equation wasn't all that important, and we could kind of safely ignore it. And then, you know, as time passed, it became pretty clear that that's not the case, that nature has an important part to play in, you know, kind of shaping who we become as people. But we also assumed kind of concurrently that, well, yes, genes mattered, but parenting must also matter in terms of, you know, how a child develops and and the the behavioral styles that they have and all that sort of thing. Uh, We kind of took that assumption for granted, but that really started to be uh, a dubious assumption, I think, whenever um, work become or became better known about uh, identical twins reared apart in uh, some of the work of a, uh, the eminent psychologist Thomas Bouchard at Minnesota. So basically what would happen is that these individuals, identical twins, who are ca- basically carbon copies of each other, right? They share all right. of their genes in common. And these individuals, in, in some rare cases, were separated very early in life and raised in completely different homes and, in many cases, had no knowledge that they had an identical twin, which really makes it remarkable, right, when you get that phone call and it's yeah. Tom Bouchard at Minnesota and, hey, would you like to come and meet your identical twin hmm. that you didn't even know existed, right? It would have to be just mind-blowing. And then you arrive in Minnesota in the lab and you meet this person and you're sure that you're going to have nothing in common with them, right? You, you don't know this person. 
come to find out, you have similar senses of humor. Your personalities are very similar. Your career trajectories are similar. Even your hobbies and your little idiosyncrasies, you know, the way you take your coffee and the, the way you eat breakfast, all of these things are very similar, despite, in many cases, really different upbringings. Hmm. And so it really started to cast a lot of doubt on this idea that the family environment and that the way parents interact with their kids was the primary or even a very uh, important secondary factor in, in, you know, kind of how children's personalities develop. That's powerful. Is I guess the problem is, and maybe why we favored um, studying the, 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 the nurturing side, is because the nature side, the genetic side, was probably a lot harder to – to study, wasn't it? Because you're eventually going to run out of twins, and um, <laughs> and 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 some of the studies might be harder to to do. But was that what was going on? Was there just a favoritism toward the the nurturing side? Well, I think uh, there certainly was a, a preference amongst kind of social scientists to focus on the environmental side, the nurture side, uh, and I think at the same time, though, as you said, for a while there, it was you know, not as common to have twin studies and to have those widely available. Over time, though, you've seen the accessibility of those data sets grow pretty rapidly. Right. So now there are large twin data sets available um, for folks who are interested in doing that, that type of research. And so I think also part of the resistance that we've seen is in not so much that the data aren't available, it's that there is just kind of a a natural resistance on the part of many social scientists to the idea that, that biology and genetics could be important for a really a, a wide array of things, um, whether it's uh, attitudes towards social policy or personality traits. Well, we've, in fact, just recently had on Dr. Lisa Miller from Columbia, who, who uh, had been a part of a lot of twin studies on spirituality, and it, her research is incredible because because you are using more of genetics and understanding it. So, sure. I mean, it pays off. It's, uh, in a way, I guess, you're a criminologist, right? You, you're you a professor of criminology and criminal justice. Because right. it also seems like we may, if we're not careful, be doing a disservice thinking something was just – and blaming it on parents when genetically there might be a lot more going on that we're not even paying attention to. That's right. Uh, I am. I'm a, a criminologist by – uh, by training, and, and so our field, uh, you know, in kind of a historical perspective, has been in particular very hostile to the idea that biology, that genetics, um, that uh, the brain could could have much of anything to do with crime. And I think, you know, it's done a great disservice to the study of crime because much of the knowledge that we have about where crime comes from and the things that predict it. Just like much parenting research, uh, it failed to control for genetic influences, and so we really don't know what those findings mean on a deeper level. We know that maybe two things correlate. So like a, a disadvantaged neighborhood tends to correlate with higher crime rates in a given area. Right. Uh, but we don't know uh, on kind of a more causal level, is that really a, a big effect, or is that just an association that happens? Hmm. And so... Without, you know, without the, the proper kind of uh, effort in place to control for genetic influences, we really have a, a, a large body of findings. We're just not sure exactly what they mean. Yeah. Give us an example um, of where you've seen 
uh, the insight of a genetic kind of predictor being maybe a better predictor than than a theory that we had about parenting, for example. Can you give us one? Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. So I'll give it kind of a criminology-relevant type example. Um, one of the strongest predictors that we have in kind of our arsenal of trying to understand, uh, you know, if a person's at a higher likelihood of, of committing crime is, is a personality trait that we just call low self-control. Essentially, it kind of is very intuitive. It's just like it sounds, right? So the trait involves not being able to delay your impulses, right. so acting without thinking about the consequences of your behavior, that kind of thing. It's a really strong predictor of a lot of negative outcomes, crime included. And so the prevailing thought in the field for a long time, and even now to a degree, is that, well, then if self-control predicts crime, it's natural to ask what predicts the development of self-control in children. And so our kind of predominant idea was that, well, it's parenting styles. Hmm. So the, the way parents kind of treat their children very early in life, maybe prior to the age of 10 years old, has everything to do with the child learning how to regulate their impulses. And if you just conducted a study where, let's say, you surveyed a 1,000 parents and you um, – ask them about how they typically interact with their child, how they parent and discipline their child, that kind of thing, and then you measured the child's level of self-control, what you would find is, is basically what the theory would predict, is that certain parenting styles seem to endow high self-control in children, and other parenting styles seem to limit the growth of self-control in children. Yeah. The problem with that, though, is that you have no idea what it means, because what these studies generally ignored was the very obvious fact that parents also pass along genetic material to their kid, half from mom, half from dad. And so it's entirely plausible that the only reason parenting styles correlated with self-control in the kid was that the genetic influences that kind of shape how parents parent their kids were also shaping the, the kid's personality, sure. growth, right? Their self-control growth. And it turns out, when you account for that possibility, the effect of parenting styles on self-control is really not all that strong, and it's certainly not that consistent. Um, and so, there, again, that's not to say that self-control is purely genetic in origin. It's not. Uh, there are other environmental factors that can play a role, too. It's just not the parenting environment. But that's, that's, oh, that's interesting because, uh, you know, a big movement has been about um, uh, dads in the home. And especially, especially in the likelihood of children whose fathers aren't there, you know, growing up in inner cities are more likely to to commit crimes. And but, right. but it, it, like you're saying, it could be the fact that a father wasn't there to kind of hone in and create this low, this higher self control in the son by being there to discipline. But it also may be genetically the father. Yes, was away and gone because of genetic reasons as well, and the child carries those genes. That, that's exactly right. And and that's not to say – so I think this is really uh, – I'm glad you mentioned that particular example because it really helps drive home my, what I think is the most important point of my argument and that of my, my colleagues. It, it is completely plausible that something like having a parent absent in the home has negative effects on yeah. the child's personality growth. That, that's, that's not a bad idea or an implausible idea at all. The trouble is it could be exactly as you say, too, that there, there are certain reasons um, why one parent may be absent. Like Some low self-control. Exactly. That's <laughs> right? exactly right. 
And so if we don't account for the genetic, the, the possibility that genetic effects could also be in play, we really don't know what it means to say that having a parent absent in the home has negative influences on a kid's self-control. Right. Now, in order to really know, we have to use uh, research designs that let us account for genetic influences. So we have to study twins and, and adopted children and those types of things. Uh, and at the end of the day, it, it may very well be that even when you control for genetic influences, they're still in effect right, of, right. of family structure on behavior. We just can't say that yet because we haven't done the proper types of studies to know. Mm. This is fascinating to me. Um, it, it, it's almost like we're, we've settled for half-truth or partial right. truth. Um, and, and because we dichotomized it, we made an argument of either when it really could very well be both. Sure. Most of the time, maybe even, you know, and um, it's just I think it's powerful. It's powerful. I mean, I think you've stuck your head out, your neck out on the limb there, Brian. <laughs> but um, well, I, I think you're right on, too. You can't you can't negate it. Sure. I, and I think the, the, this was also kind of one of the things that I tried to make clear in, in a few articles I've written on the subject. It, it, my read of the evidence right now is it, it, the evidence, the good evidence done with twin studies, done with adoption studies, is that parents really don't have a strong effect on personality development, behavioral development over time. But that comes with the caveat of if we wanted to know whether parents had an effect, and they certainly could, we would need to use twin studies. And then if, you know, in 10, 15 years from now, if we're having this conversation, and new evidence has emerged in, in family studies using twins and adopt, adopted kids that, yes, certain types of parenting do have strong effects on behavior. That's a much more believable finding because it's much more rigorous. Right. You know, it, it, it accounted for the things you have to account for. And so that, I think, that, you know, it, it was interesting. Some of the reaction to the article was, well, you, clearly you must take parents or you, you know, you think genes are all that matter, and it's really neither of those things. I certainly love my parents and recognize that parenting <laughs> is a hugely important yeah. institution um, and, and, and kind of occupation in many ways. But that's very different from saying that parenting is the only or the primary shaper of a child's personality. Yeah. Um, no, I think it's indeed. I think you're right on it, Brian. And um and, and again, I love parents, I, and I think they're right. critical. But the, I guess the dilemma we run into is we also – I mean parents can also be a major part in impacting and helping children understand their genes and sure. learn how to manage their genes healthier in certain ways and, and do certain things. So I mean oh, I wish we had more time too, Brian. we got to take a break um, and then we're up sure. against a deadline. But we'll have you back and continue the discussion uh, with some of your first your f- uh, future research as well. We appreciate you joining us again. Brian Boutwell, Ph.D., Associate Professor of Criminology and Criminal Justice at St. Louis University. Interesting stuff, man. And uh, again, it's got to be more complicated than just the nurture. There's genetic components. What even makes you a good nurturer? Are you, a lot of your genes, right? Interesting balance. Stick with us, folks. We'll come back and... Uh, you know, have a little fun with our good buddies from BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Nothing is real. The Beatles. Yellow Submarine. 
Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We like to mix it up here on the show, and uh, as we go down and visit our good brothers down at uh, BYU Sports Nation today, it's uh, Spencer Linton and uh, Jason Shepard. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, gentlemen. I can hear you. They are um, – right now, you can't see them, but uh, they're primping. Oh, hello. Oh, hello. Are, are, good are, morning. Are you, are you there? Is that Jason? I, I'm here. I'm sorry. Were you down doing push-ups, Jason? Uh, always. Okay, because I, I heard – yeah. The question is, when are you not doing push-ups? When am I? No, me. That's when you need to ask Oh, yeah, me. you. Okay, when are you not? Yeah, because like when you were asking me, I'm like, well, how about, I don't know, 2015, <laughs> 2014, 2013. I don't like to do push-ups because I don't – want to torture the ladies. Okay. All right. I understand. You don't want to get so swole mm-hmm. <laughs> that the ladies are like, can't, yeah. they can't pay attention to anything else other than you. I get it. Exactly. Totally understand it. And by the way, happy Prime Rib Day. Speaking is of swelling. Mm-hmm. I hate Prime Rib. What? I can't stand it. Why? It's too, it's too not cooked for me. Yes, exactly. I am, I, you know what? And I, I take you for this all the time. I'm a well-done guy. Are you? Yes. Well, you are well-done, but as far as mm. your meat yes. cooking preference- the at the at the absolute least it has to be medium well, that, really? like nothing below that. Wow, mm-hmm. is it? Uh, are are you looking for cancer? Is that what you're going for? <laughs> no. What cancer? What does that have to do with it? Well, because it's you know uh, a burnt charcoal is a carcinogen. Mm. It's a cancer causer. I don't know. My dad's the same way. My mom's the same way. All my kids. I I like I, mine to still squeal a little bit. No, I don't. I like medium. Boom. Right in the middle. Okay. Booyah! Is, uh, you know, it's 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 just the best. National something. Prime Rib Day. Yeah, huh? happy National okay. Time Prime Rib Day. Okay. It's also Tell a Story Day. Ooh. Hey, tell okay. Tell a story about Prime Rib. Exactly. I got a question for you. Okay. Um, is, are you expecting Spencer? Yeah, Spencer actually is sitting down with me right now. Is he here? Do you ever talk about anything that's not related to food? No. Do you not listen to my show? All I talk about all day is food. He's putting on his uh, his earpiece right now. Okay, that's good. Because I, I wanted to, I want you guys to listen to something. I know you guys are big, big uh, political fans, and um, today on the show, huge. we huge, huge, huge political fans. Today we aired a clip from Ted Cruz talking about sports, and I want you guys to just respond. This is Ted Cruz in Indiana trying to win the hearts of the Hoosiers who love. Basketball more than anybody. See if you can pinpoint the mistake. Tell me something. How tall is that basketball rim? Ten feet. You know, the amazing thing is that basketball ring here in Indiana, it's the same height as it is in New York City and every other place in this country. Ah, Teddy. You know, the all-too-familiar basketball ring. <laughs> I'm so glad you played that for me because I had heard about it last night but That's did not it. get to hear or see it. Oh, yeah. So I'm so glad. The basketball ring. The basketball ring. Okay, that, that's right about when he gets punched in the face by the bully on the on the street. If that, that right there, regardless of, of party affiliation, that right there sums up why most people do not like politicians. Exactly. <laughs> So, so remember, Donald had his moment when he said huge two Corinthians in front of a Christian crowd. In my, in my favorite book, the Bible, in two Corinthians, um, 
that kind of gave away that he didn't really know. And this kind of gave away that Ted doesn't probably play much ball. Two Corinthians. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good stuff. Now, I know, too, you guys, I know you, you're big fans of the GOP and you're going to be heading to the convention uh, in Cleveland. And I, too, will be going. And so I was thinking that maybe uh, if we all went together and BYU Broadcasting would would be willing to do this, we could probably rent a house together. So I've been looking on the market for a house in Cleveland, and I found one. I'm just wondering if you're okay with it. It's um, it's only about eight thousand dollars for the whole month, so we could be there a long time. But we could run the whole. We could run our shows from it. It just happens to be the childhood home of serial killer Jeffrey Dahmer. Uh, I want to know if you guys are in for that. Are you? Is that good? Are you okay with that? Are you and okay? Still charging eight grand? Yeah, eight grand. Because I'm out. I mean, it's yeah. a, oh, you're out, Spence. I'm out. Yeah, I. Uh, what? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna pass on that one. Oh man, I do like the idea though of us going like real world style and like having cameras film us while we're in the house living together. That would be so cool. <laughs> like like fighting over the shower. BYU TV and BYU radio. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, man, there's so many moments I can already envision. Me standing outside of the bathroom. Come on, Jason. <laughs> See, Quit. for those that know the show, like back in the day, yeah, I think Jerem would be Puck. Puck? You guys remember Puck? Yeah, totally. From the San Francisco yeah. one? See, that was that, that's a really long time ago. I know. I need to stop aging. But don't myself. call him Puck, because that makes him mad. What is his name? I don't know. It's you want me to look it up? It's Puck. That dude is... Volatile. Yeah, he was. Uh, we should do this. Why doesn't you know what? I'm going to go upstairs and talk to some people. Do you, uh, Spencer? Who's got a BYU broadcasting real world setup? Uh huh. In Jeffrey Dahmer's old house. Yeah, in <laughs> Cleveland else, for please? one month. Oh. No. If not, if not, there is. We could go to California where Charles Manson has a a place. Why can't we just go somewhere normal? Stay in a motel. Yeah. No, that's not fun. It's more fun it's when you bring yet. a BYU Sports Nation real world in Vegas. <laughs> yeah, what would the we do? Bellagio Just suite. The, no, all of the all of the video would come from inside the house because <laughs> we would never go to the strip. <laughs> it would be the most boring Vegas segment ever. So, what are you doing today? Nothing. What are you doing? Nothing. We're gonna go ride ride some go karts. You guys, any, anybody <laughs> want circus, ice cream? Circus. Let's go get Rodeo some ice anybody? cream. <laughs> Ice cream! Yay! <laughs> Party it up. Saturday Night Vegas. Kids uh, love ice cream. Baskin Robbins. <laughs> <laughs> That's pathetic. Hey, um, you guys doing your show today still with uh, Puck gone? In fact, we have a trifecta of awesome guests. And what? it is a trifecta-themed show, Matt. By the way, uh, apparently penicillin for a trifecta, not helpful. What? I'm not, not sure, Oh, you said trifecta. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, I thought you goodness. said infecta. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, my Latin's a little off. Moxicillin, so, what's up? <laughs> Moxicillin, I'm allergic. Uh, so talk to me. What's on the show, the trifecta? Okay, right now, who are the big three athletes on BYU's campus? Mm. And this is all coming from one sport. So are we talking size like, or... Just the Girth? big three. Okay. Who do you consider the big three of BYU the athletics? Three and which sport do they come from? Wow. Okay, and we do this because yesterday Eric Mika, the great Caesar, <laughs> returned from his mission to Italy. Yeah. Thus reuniting the Lone Peak three 
for BYU basketball. I mean, it has been a long time coming. Yeah. For it's like these two three years. To finally, get it's been longer. Oh, it's than been that. longer than Is that. It? We we'll have get into proof. That. Okay, you've got proof. Okay, we'll get into. Are you going to have a timeline? We wow. have a timeline. Okay, excellent. You won't believe the last time they played a sanctioned competitive basketball game together. Holy cow! It's been a long time. Have, has anybody seen him play? Way longer than two years. Yeah, yeah, I think Jason was like fourteen when he saw him play. Can they hit the ring? They they are they really good the, around the basketball they can ring. Put the ball in the ring, man. <laughs> Do they throw the ball in the ring thing? Yes. That's great. That that has spurned today's conversation. Good. That's great. That's a great topic. We have BYU's most recent basketball scholarship recipient on the show. Stephen Bale will join us from the state of Washington. Cool. Mike Littlewood, BYU baseball coach. Have his expectations changed at all with the uh, bevy of injuries? And then, as Jason called him, the Billy Bean of BYU (laughs) athletics. Zach Knowlton has put together... Basically, he's he's covering BYU football with analytics. He's using the numbers. Yeah. He's going Moneyball. Moneyball. To help kind of forecast the season for BYU football, both Which wins matchups losses, are going to be the best. Yeah, matchups, players, yeah. production, mm. that kind of stuff. So we're going to get into that. That is so cool. The Moneyball approach. Yeah. See? That's cool. That's great. And uh, bring him. Bring him to the Dahmer house. Uh, he'd be Nobody's great. Nobody's going to the, he, As soon as you say the Dahmer house, I know. everyone's out. Let's just call it the D house. D-Day. Let's call it D-Day. <laughs> okay. I, I'm going to make sure we have a ring in the backyard. We can go back there. We can have a grill, barbecue some uh, chicken, and then throw some throw some of those ball things in the in the ring thing. Put the, the ring. ball in the ring. Yep. It's going to be a party. Okay, guys. <laughs> can hardly wait. And bring Puck. Don't forget Puck. Yes, you won't. <laughs> great show, guys. Have a good, have a good time, and um, I'm going to bring you a lot of people to your show today, so get ready. Okay. Do it. Okay. Don't Thanks. mess it up, dude. Don't, I won't mess it minutes. up. Sit up straight, and make sure you look in, in the camera, guys. Got it. If you don't, it creeps us out a bit. <laughs> good stuff. Good show. Be good. Man, they're good. I'm telling you. Highly trained professionals. Five minutes before they go on. They got to look good. We... I don't have to worry about how I look. You know, some people are just born with it, just the look, you know. But, uh, uh, but, and I'm getting all this feedback in my ear, apparently having a little technical problem. Um, Here's one of the things that I wanted to bring up as we wrap up the show. Apparently, nobody wants to do the convention thing and stay in Jeffrey Dahmer's house. Why? Because that's super creepy. But um, there is a really great story about some kids uh, from, um, that helped to direct a police helicopter. You know, children were having an Easter egg hunt, and they formed a human arrow to direct a police helicopter to two suspected burglars. <laughs> That's pretty cool. The group of 30 youngsters and adults were in a field in uh, Capel, Surrey, England on Good Friday when they spotted the aircraft circling overhead. The National Police Air Service uh, helicopter had been called by the Surrey police after a report of intruders at a, uh, at a building that was no longer being used. And the quick-thinking children spotted two men fleeing across the field and formed an arrow to direct officers to them. As a thank you for their efforts, the crew landed nearby to thank the children for the role they played in the incident, and they even shared a few chocolate treats with the team with an added bonus after a busy shift. 
How cool is that? They just, hey, everybody get down. We're going to make an arrow. <laughs> Point it towards those guys. But the thing, those guys were on the run. So like, did like the arrow start shifting? <laughs> move over, kids. Move over. <laughs> just a moving arrow, like a compass. That's pretty cool. And a smart teacher that just jumped right on that. I probably would have been sitting there like, quit touching each other. Leave him alone. Don't eat that, Jimmy. Hey, uh, as we wrap up the show, which uh, I know you're grateful we're doing, um, four-year-old Camden Vaughn is going to be the hero of the day. We love uh, to wrap up the show with a hero story. And cute little four-year-old Camden Vaughn saved his mom's life. Listen to this story. It was reading 105 on my thermometer. And that's the last thing I remember, Camden's mom, Misty, said. Then she passed out. It was little Camden who found her Sunday night and used her cell phone to call Dr. Jeremy Vaughn, his father. He said, Daddy, I need you to come home. Mommy can't get in the bath because she can't wake up. Can you imagine being that dad, scared to death? And I said, I'm on my way. Remember, Camden is just four years old. But he unlocked his mom's iPhone, found his dad's photo at the top of the favorites list, tapped the phone button and the star, and bing, bing, bingo, he's talking to dad. Misty Vaughn's uh, physician believes that she had a seizure. He also believes that Camden's phone call was crucial. It saved her life. As simple as that, he said, acting early and fast is really the essence of saving her life. And uh, so cute little Camden Vaughn being held as a hero. And uh, isn't that weird? Sad thing, too, they don't talk about is the fact that cute little Camden, while he was waiting for the ambulance, also played a few games on the phone, ordered some movies and a pizza from Pizza Hut. Cute little kids knowing how to use their phones even better than the parents do. Well, folks, that's why we do the show, to give you the tools, the information you need to, to lead a healthier life, a happier life, just to be informed, and uh, especially to help you find the good in the world. There's people like Camden and the parents, uh, his parents, just good people. They're your neighbors. Uh, they're my neighbors. And uh, as we wrap up the show, remember, you can go to iTunes to tune in. You can go find our podcast. Send them to the people you care about. Also, look up our uh, BYU Radio app for Droid or iOS and listen to us live. Live stream us that way. Or just keep listening on Sirius XM 143. We're out of here, folks. Until tomorrow, take care of each other. Make it a great one. We'll talk again tomorrow.